Another podcast this week, Bert? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Let me tell you something. If you're listening to this right now, I am in Fresno. No, I'm in Reno, Nevada. Las Vegas tomorrow night. Salt Lake City the night after that. And then wrapping out the Body Shots World Tour in Cleveland, Ohio with seven shows. We have added two more shows, November 24th. And then Atlantic City, Temecula on December 28th and 29th. And then starting January 30th in Burlington, Vermont. The Birdie Boy U.S. Tour. Rochester, Dayton, San Jose, Sacramento, Bakersfield. I've added shows in Indianapolis, Evansville, Louisville. Added a show in Medford, Mashnantucket, Portland, Wilkes-Barre, Schenectady. Added a show at the Beacon Theater, D.C., New Orleans, Montgomery, Huntsville. Added a show in Springfield, Peoria, Sioux City, Cedar Rapids. Added a show there, Rockford. Milwaukee, Green Bay, St. Louis, Durham, Knoxville, Nashville, Atlanta, Wichita, we've added a show, Grand Prairie, Texas, Austin, and Tampa, and Orlando. We've added a show in Orlando. So that is the Birdie Boy U.S. tour code. Go to get tickets at birdbirdbird.com, or you can use my phone number, 323-208-0844. If you text that phone number, you will get an automated reply from me uh, about add my number or whatever your thing. Once you do, all the other emails you get or text will, will be directly from me. Like I said, you're only getting four a year. You'll get it when tickets are on sale, when we've added a show maybe in your neck of the woods, when uh, my special comes out. And if I was hinting for the last month about a television project that I may or may not be doing starting tomorrow, uh, theoretically it would go in production tomorrow. But I haven't really said anything about that, which makes this intro a little, uh, little... A little uh, misleading or leading, or I'm not really sure. The guy uh, um, I uh, today, Todd Garner, is a film producer. He has worked on a ton of movies. He's good friends with Adam Sandler and has worked on a lot of Sandler's projects. He worked on Mall Cop, Zookeeper, Tag, uh, Here Comes the Boom, Night and Day. More importantly, he was he he's had a really interesting career in Hollywood. I've always been fascinated by guys who could move parallel upward throughout the business, who, who could run a studio and then go, I'm going to make my own projects. It would give me so much fucking anxiety. You know, I've been on part of the business where it's just like you want someone to green light you so you can make money. That's all I really know about. It wasn't until I got to the place I'm at now where I started going, oh, I understand these guys who go, you know, I'm going to run Disney. I think he ran Disney at the time. Was he running Disney? I forget. He, he, Todd will tell you the story. He's been a film producer. He has, uh, he has run studios. He and I could, may or may not be working on a project that starts production tomorrow. <laughs> Former Disney executive. He tells me one of my favorite stories ever. Look, I don't know if you're like me, but you always, the grass is greener. You always wonder what it's like to live in another man's shoes. He, Todd went through a divorce and then was single, but he was like at the top of his peak of his career. And he had like a, a beach house and like fucking, uh, who was it? Was it, that wasn't Jeremy Piven. It was, uh, I, he tells the story. Like celebrities would stop by and just hang out. And they, and he bought a boat. It's such a good story. I love good stories. And, and by the way, so does Todd Garner because that is all he's doing. Right now he's in Australia shooting a huge movie in Australia, flying back soon. 
Uh, we talk about what divorce is like. We talk. It's a great fucking podcast. It is a great podcast. Todd Garner also has his own podcast called The Producer's Guide, where he sits down with other people in the industry. I went to meetings with this guy. He knows fucking everyone. He really does. By the way, I soft-sold the movies he's worked on. I forgot he worked on The Waterboy, one of my favorite movies in the world. And he talks about that and how that got into production on the podcast. I, I love the inside gossip of Hollywood and how Hollywood works. And I it's just always been absolutely fascinating to me. And that's what this podcast is about. And if you go to his podcast, that's what you will find at his podcast is just shop talk. And Hollywood shop talk is fucking fascinating. This is a great podcast. I love this guy. I'll tell you right now, I sat in an I sat in, a, in an office with him, and he pitched me an idea. And I'll tell you, there's a reason he is where he is in this business because I have been in a lot of pitch rooms. I've been in a lot of pitch rooms with celebrities. This is one of the greatest goddamn pitches I ever had. He had me thinking I came up with the idea and laughing hysterically at ideas that I thought I was coming. I mean, it was that the guy is a legend, an absolute legend. You're gonna love this podcast. Have a great, safe weekend. I'll see you on the road. Go to BurtBurtBurt.com. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Hollywood mogul, Todd Garner. This is Nerdcast. What's divorce like? Divorce? <laughs> oh, dude. It's the it's the best and worst thing you could possibly go through, right? It's the best. Yeah. It's the best on one side because you're out of a, a out of a situation that you shouldn't have been in, yeah. and it's the worst because it takes a long time to get to a good place. For real? Yeah, I mean, no matter how hard you try to for it to be like amicable, you still, you know, there's still like all kinds of feelings around it. But I'll tell you, uh I'm divorced now gosh my son's 18 so i'm divorced now 16 years oh wow yeah it was quick it was quick after we, we realized pretty quickly that it was not meant to be and then she ended up marrying my ex-wife ended up marrying one of my buddies who's really? also a movie producer shut yeah, up so he was on my podcast in the first and everybody was like i gotta fucking listen to this because yeah, yeah. what is the story but it worked out great we're really really all good now and really good friends now so it's 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 the best possible oh, i'd have the worst divorce in the world Ugh. like if Leanne and i got divorced it would be nasty and <laughs> mad and angry it would definitely be my fault you know <laughs> you know what's so funny is it in theory should be easy i mean yeah. forget it if you take all the emotional shit is obviously going to be what it is yeah but in the state of california it's a no-fault state there is a thing called a disso master, which you just run your income through and it gives you the number of alimony and gives you the number of child support. Really? There's no negotiation and you split your shit 50 50. It should be the easiest thing where it gets fucked up is the divorce attorneys get in and start to turn the knife of that emotion and make everybody doubt and skeptical and drag the shit out. And then you just end up giving them all the money. I had a we friend. I had a friend who got a divorce. I think he just wrote one check. Yeah. Well, you can do that too. I mean, if mediation is definitely the way to go. Like Laura Wasser, who she's a good friend of mine, she's a divorce attorney. She also has a podcast now called <laughs> Divorce Sucks. Her whole thing is she's her dad was a divorce attorney too. And her whole thing is just don't go to court. We can settle this. I'm gonna tell you exactly where you would end up yeah. without paying 
millions of dollars in legal fees. It's up to you. You're going to get to that same place. You're just going to have less money because you're going to pay off all these legal fees for lawyers. Yeah. I have, I have friends going through divorce. I have one friend going through divorce. They were really close to us. And I, when I found out they were getting divorced, I was shocked. And I was right. like, I felt like I was betrayed. <laughs> right. I was like, hold on. You're not right. allowed to do that. Right. Exactly. I thought, I thought we agreed that would be forever. <laughs> I mean, it oh. is. The guy's happy, though. I think the it's woman's It's so not. easy to get divorced is the problem. I mean, it really? really? Well, I mean, you, no one's stopping you. So it's yeah. like, it, and, and I feel like, uh, you know, there's so many different ways to, to go through it. You know, like you said, one person could just be feeling like, meh, I think it's time for me to move on. Or the other person could be feeling like I'm not getting enough out of this. I'm not getting any younger. I mean, in, in my case, we just we just were never right for each other. We just kept trying to make it work. And we like, how about a kid? Maybe that'll help. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't help. It doesn't make it any better. Uh, the thing I'd like about divorce is starting up, like getting an apartment. <laughs> like like, like I, you're in college. I romanticize about that, like <laughs> getting a new stereo. Just you in Bed Bath & Beyond yeah. just with your cart going through going, I can get caramel flavored candles if I want. And oh. I can have black leather couch again. <laughs> oh, my daughters would hate me. If, if we got divorced I, it would be such a bad that i gotta say that is the worst thing obviously my son was like two he doesn't he, honestly he doesn't even remember his mom and i together and my current wife we've been married for 15 years so it's yeah. not even like there's like not even he, he doesn't remember anything but even then like and it was you know that was the one thing we both said is like we're not gonna fuck this up we're gonna we're gonna make a great kid he at 10 all his friends started getting divorced and he kind of went through it then I'm like well wait a minute it, it, you, your parents are hate each other and they're fighting and yeah well, maybe that is that part of my existence you know so even at 10 he was like what does this mean like does basil love me does shauna love me you know and like you know so it, it's a, there's no way to get out of it there's no way yeah. to get out of it clean you grew up in la I did. I grew up in the valley in San Fernando. Really? Yeah. Wait until you die. Even more. <laughs> yeah. I never got out. Even further north and east of here, man. Yeah. I did the city of San Fernando. Were your were your parents in the business? No, nobody. My my dad is the first person in my entire lineage to go to college. Really? And so yeah, and, and he went to Occidental College, which is where I ended up going. Um, just you know, because why not? It's he went there, and I only applied to one place. I was so like not 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 aware of anything. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, he was in PR his whole life and in politics. And so I didn't have anybody in the business. In fact, when I started out, I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a stand up. You know, that's what really? I thought. Yeah, I don't think I'd tell you a funny story that happened to me at a party the other night. So anyway, so, and then I thought, well, maybe I'd be an actor. So I took theater and did improv. And I just, I was good at improv and good at telling stories, but not, I'm not a good actor by any stretch. I'm so bad that in Big Daddy, Adam Sandler wrote the John Stewart part yeah. for me. Literally words, because he's always such a mensch and gives people shots and yeah. dialogue that I had said. And I read really? it. I read it. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Just say it like yourself. And I'm like, I trying I'm to trying say the words I said before aren't coming out the same. And it was so bad that Dennis Dugan, who directed it, sent it to Amy Pascal, and she was hysterically crying. She called me. She goes, "This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life." I'm like, I know, I'm not, a, I'm not an actor. But the funny thing was, the other day, I had a party. I think I had a Fourth of July party. Yeah, a party. I had a bunch of friends over, and a really good friend of my wife's brought her teenage kids over. They live in Los Feliz, and they're all sitting around. 
in the fire pit and I'm standing up and I'm telling a story. And one of the, the 18 year olds goes, you know, who you remind me of Bert Kreischer. And I'm like, uh, uh, I go, I can die happy right now. And by the way, I didn't have my shirt off, which would have been an easier <laughs> and easier just the way I was telling the story. And I'm like, that is fucking amazing. And so I, I was the biggest compliment I could have gotten. So wait, tell me, I like, I, I know we were working together, but I, tell me the, your path in Hollywood. My path in Hollywood. Cause I, I, I'm always fascinated. I'm, we had, we had this conversation the other day before, we, before we walked into some meeting and I was saying like, I'm always fascinated, like how, how people succeed in Hollywood. Right. Like it's, hard. it's so fucking hard. It is so hard. I just got confident in this business, like comfortable in this business. Right. Like a year ago. Congratulations. I'm still not comfortable. Like, so that's great. Yeah. For the first time I'm like, <laughs> I passed on a project the other day. What? Yeah. I was like. They were like, hey, it's a straight offer, 13 episodes. And I was like, I'm going to pass. And they were wow. like, really? I was like, eh, I don't want to do it. You know, it's interesting. And I like every stand-up I know that has a successful career as an actor <clears throat> always says the same thing of, I can go back. I can take a microphone and go to a club and make, make that's a that's a great backstop to have, that talent. It's a good man. foundation. Huge. It's like you can't, because Patrice O'Neill gave me a speech one time. I, I would have been doing stand-up for like, a year and six months maybe and uh maybe maybe tops two years and i got a deal at uh cbs and i got a deal at fox at the same time a deal for a tv show and then a deal for production for a sitcom and i was like i was like i made it like this like i don't even know why i'm doing stand-up now i made it like this is it and patrice is like you know what sucks is you don't realize that when that all goes away, you go back to right where you are right now. Right. Where you were two days ago when you had nothing, you go right back to there. And I remember thinking, he's just jealous. And then it all went away. And I was like, I remember being sitting in Pan Pacific Park going like, what the fuck do I do? Right. Like, I got money, but like, I have no path. Right. And I had I, I literally like went crawling back to stand up like, huh, this is what I loved the first time. Do you guys remember that? I had to start off at host. Right. I had to, like TV shows. And I had to go back to hosting. I hosted for Drew Carey. Right. And um, but but I'm always fascinated by your side of the business. Right. So I was so enamored when I was younger. I was so enamored by um anyone who knew how to act in a meeting, anyone who knew how to pitch something, anyone right. who knew how to make something. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> so I grew up in San Fernando. I went to John F. Kennedy High School in in San, in San Fernando. And like I said, I, I, the first thing I, I love architecture. I love residential architecture specifically and i thought well maybe i'll be an architect yeah and so i went into uh a drafting class <laughs> and it was me and like three dork dorky dudes yeah and they're like okay get the graph paper out and then and the ruler and draw a line that's i was like fuck this what the <laughs> fuck is this this is terrible and a buddy of mine goes dude you know because he was a big pothead and i didn't want to ever work he goes dude you got to come to this. Class. It's the same period as this drafting class. It's fucking this improv class, dude. It is it, the chicks are ridiculously hot. You got to come like, I'm done out. I'm yeah. in. I don't care. Say no more. Bailed, went to this improv class. And I'm like, whoa, this is cool. And all the yes and exercises and other thing. And I was like, good at it. I mean, I would jump in. I didn't give a shit. I was like being as big and loud as I could. And I remember then I kind of was like, acting up a little bit i was class clown by the way in my senior year but this is like in my um, sophomore year and the teacher mrs peterson never forget she goes why do i feel like i'm gonna be saying goodbye to you today and i was like oh shit like this i want this like i felt yeah. that was the first time i in a class where i was like 
whoa, don't kick me out. And so then I just, just worked really hard in theater, wrote theater, wrote improv, wrote sketch, directed a bunch of plays. I was in a bunch of plays and just that laughter when you got a laugh, especially with something you wrote was phenomenal. And then I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll be a director. So then I went to Occidental College. They have no film. It's a tiny little school in New York. Yeah. They, don't, they don't even have a film department. Took a bunch, bunch of independent studies. And then I happened to get this internship at Pacific Bell. They were doing a bunch of industrials. And then I learned how to be an editor. So I was an editor first. Really? Yeah. So they taught I me. I think that's one of the greatest fucking skills. Totally. Dude, I, editing changed my career. Yeah. Because uh, I, I was in, I was working for Travel Channel and I was, and I, I, you you can shoot all you want you can shoot so it's cool but unless you know how to get it onto a computer yep. edit it down and make it presentable for someone to enter it's yeah especially in comedy because any anything any any comedy movie the pacing of the comedy the way that you can fuck a joke up you can you can cut a joke wrong you know we just we just had a preview of this little family movie that we did with john cena and you know the first cut the the editor had cut it like an action movie because the the she's a action more of an action editor than a comedy editor, and I'm like this is just not getting the it's not hammering as much these big physical gags aren't hammering as much as they should, and then when you just open it up and you look at it and you go oh this is why oh wow you're not you're, you're setting up you're seeing what he's gonna slam into before it's like just the way you can manipulate the frame wow and then you get a huge laugh same footage same thing had you not taken the time to re-edit it then you would you would not not get that laugh. So anyway, so I started off as an editor and then then I kind of figured out, well, man, I, I'm I'm just getting further and further away from my goal because I thought I want to make movies. I I I was cutting uh, commercials and music videos and and in these industrials at the time which were huge. And I just said it's I I'm getting further and further away from making movies. So How old were you at the time? I was probably 21. God. Well, all through college. So what I did was I have a double major in economics and and art. I mean, which is which is film in quotes because yeah. the and so all through college I edited and I and and because it was a new system, this Ampex A system, which now eventually becomes the Avid, it was a computer based system. I had long hair, I never wore shoes, and I edited for Playboy. I edited for all the and I and I because I would work at night and and not that many people knew how to work, work the system, so I was working my ass off. Really, and then I thought, well, okay. I want to be in the movie business. It's a business. So I'll go get my uh, business degree. So I got a job at Wells Fargo Bank downtown, worked at uh, Wells Fargo 6th and Grand, put on a gray flannel suit, went through uh, personal banking school that they send you to school, which is basically like a mini MBA. Thought, all right, then I'll just go to Stanford, get my MBA because it's kind of Occidental Wells Fargo Stanford was kind of a pretty direct line. And right as all that was going down, my dad, who knows nobody in the business, is playing golf over at Lakeside over here. And he's playing golf with this dude who was the ran finance for Paramount Domestic Television and said, I have this job uh, as an accountant on the Arsenio Hall show. Uh, your son sounds perfect for it. Like I had a, I knew how to edit. I had production experience. I worked as a banker. It, it looked like I had lived my whole life for this dumb job. Yeah. I took it, took the job, drove onto the lot, and I said, I'm never looking back. And so then after being an accountant on the Arsenio Hall show, I figure out what this job is called a creative executive. And I'm like, that fucking sounds great. It's creative and executive. This is that's a perfect job. Yeah. So I 
uh, went to a store. I, I realized you have to learn how to read scripts. I'd never seen a script, you know, because back then nothing was online. You had to go to Samuel French oh, and, yeah. and get scripts. I'd never read a script. So I found out there was a, uh, at UCLA Extension, there was a class called Story Development. I went and took the class, who, which was taught by Bob Greenblatt, who's now the chairman of Warner Brothers. He taught the class. He was a, he was a, um, a story editor uh, for Lorimar at the time. And I learned how to read scripts. And then I became an assistant at Sony Columbia Pictures at the time, making 400 bucks gross a week. Wait, hold on. How did you go from all the way up to right back down? I just kept going. Like you just said, I just, because I realized I didn't have any of the skills. I had skills, but not the skills needed to do the creative executive job. So I just, my dad, you know, he paid for my college education. He's like, yeah. a, you know, pretty middle-class guy. Every job I was making markedly less money. Like as an editor, I was making good money. Then I went to the bank. I was making less money. But at least my dad goes, we well, are at a bank. And then- yeah. And then as an accountant, I made less money. And then 400 bucks gross a week, I go, well, this is the bottom. <laughs> My dad was losing his mind. And then uh, after being an assistant for 18 months, I got a job at Walt Disney Pictures um, as a, well, you know, the Walt Disney Company as a creative executive. And I was there for 10 years and became president, co-president of that place after 10 years. That was that's like my weird bell bell curve which just goes in the wrong direction. Wait, where were you living at these different times? So because that's I, the funnest part. I mean, you right. lived in Hollywood. Yeah, at the funnest. Never lived in Hollywood, by the way. For no, real? No, never in the city of Hollywood. So I, when I was at an editor, I was living in Pasadena because that's where it was, and Occidental yeah. is kind of over there. And then, I, and I, like I said, I grew up in San Fernando. And then when I moved back, I lived here in the Valley. I lived in. Studio City. I lived in Sherman Oaks. I just kind of pinged around. I was here in the '94 earthquake. In, really? Yeah. In in Sherman Oaks, my house got red tagged. What's, uh, what's what I was renting? The, the thing came apart. It was on stilts up here, just south of Ventura, and the earthquake just ripped the thing apart. It literally came apart. How much worse was it than the earthquake we had the other day? A uh, ten thousand times worse. Oh, really? I didn't even feel the earthquake we had the other day. I think I told you this. Like I was in my house, didn't feel it. Yeah. Uh, and I know I saw your post about it. And, it, and I was just about to do an Instagram post not, and an earthquake started. Not even close. Like, dude, you can't even believe it. And I was here in 71, too, in that earthquake in San Fernando. Wait, how old are you? I'm 53. God, I thought you were my age. Yeah. 46. Wow. Same, same. Yeah, same, same. So um, it's all downhill from 45 anyway. So <laughs> oh, my wife's already talking about getting a one-story house so that it, well, you know, I don't. We won't be able to get up and downstairs. I'm like, fuck off. I was like, now that that's all, that whole. I, we just went on a hike, and the whole hike, I was like, I'm not ready to retire. Like, I don't know right. what fucking world you live in. Right. You I know, think I have. I think about this all the time. I think about like, I was just listening to something about people saying you got to save money for retirement. And I'm like, I don't have any money for retirement. Like, well, I, mean, I got to keep going. I literally have to keep going until like I'm drop. Yeah, I don't. I. I <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what else. And then I have insurance for everybody else. But for me, I'm going to literally. They put me in the hole. I said to Segura <laughs> the other. There's a while ago. We were talking about making money. I said, man, if I can get just like four more years of this, I'm good. Like I'll be happy. And right. Segura goes, What do you mean? I go, Well, the girls will be in college. I'll get. Oh, you know. And then I can kind of downsize. I don't have to worry. And he's like, Oh my god. And I can see it in his eyes. I go, Why? And he goes, I have 21 more years of this. <laughs> Yeah, he goes, I gotta make this money for twenty one years. <laughs> I will say I have I have a one story house. I have a mid century and uh I love it. I, I love not having stairs. I've I, never I, had I, stairs. No, it's I'm telling you, stairs are a pain in the ass. They really are. Yeah. It's and like it, it's so much it's it's so much better for a lot have, of different where, reasons. Do you, have you ever lived at the beach? Yeah, I live in Malibu. I had you I live, live in Malibu now? No. 
<laughs> so right when I got divorced, I moved to Malibu Road. <laughs> Shut got up. Got a house on the beach. That's a fucking. It was insane. It was really fun. Yeah, it was good. That was a good time. And that had oh. that house had stairs. But uh, yeah, I, I and then I I now I now live live in Brentwood. I, once I got just the heat from the valley. When I lived in the valley, did you see this Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? The, the Quentin movie? No, I haven't okay. seen it yet. So I lived in the Valley all through, you know, I was born in 65 and I lived there until, you know, 20 years ago. And the smog, we, I'm, this is, a, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's going to affect me for the rest of my life. We'd swim in the pool. My dad would put so much chlorine and acid in it because there's a bunch of fucking teenage boys yeah. stinking up the place. And then the smog, like your lungs would hurt. You'd be dying. Your eyes would be stinging. Oh, yeah. So I had to get out of, I had to get out of the Valley just for that reason. Now it's beautiful. Now it's like coming back. Yeah. Ventura is great. I would love to live in Malibu. It's, it's, it's great. Living in Malibu is great. But the problem is what you realize is it's an island. Like if PCH, something happens, like there's a horrific wreck, or when I was living there, the, 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 the big mudslide happened. I rem you're fucked. My agent at the time, my, I, my agent was a guy named Andy Cohen. Oh, yeah, I know Andy. And he, I know exactly where he lived. He lived right next to sort of Mark Gervitz. Yeah. Which then became Charlize Theron's house. Really? Well, that's how small of a town Malibu is. You know where everybody lives. But yeah, I remember his, his house. That one story right there. Yeah. On, it's either Carbon or whatever that beach He's is. just every weekend he'd be like, hey, man. Come out or have a party. Yeah. Every fucking weekend. Well, that was the thing that was so amazing when I, I was there for three years. And then uh, every Thursday night or Friday morning, my buddies would come up literally with a wheelie bag. Like, hey, man. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Just going to check out the parties, man. Don't worry. I probably won't even stay here. And I wake up to be 19 people in my house, oh. you know, laying on every flat surface, you know, when I didn't have my son uh and uh, yeah so people do it's just you you never have to go that is the one thing when you live in malibu you never have to leave everybody comes to you i would love that i want <laughs> my wife one i played tennis with this uh guy marty i wish i could remember his name his last name he was i want maybe sheer that can't be right but marty he was uh there was a there was a TV show called Get Me Out, I'm a Celebrity or something. Mm -hmm. Or Help Me Out. Get Me Out of Here, I'm a Celebrity. And the first season, they ruined all the footage. They, they, something happened to all, the, all wow. the tapes. Marty fixed it. His name was Marty the Magician. Wow. That was what they called him. He was like, he, was like a, he fixed tapes. And right. like he's an editor. He sold tapes. I don't even know what he did. He would basically recover data that was compromised. We um, played tennis every day together for about two years. And uh, like a month, two months in, he's like, uh, I'm getting a divorce. I said, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, let me tell you something. It's very, very important. <laughs> I wish I hadn't told all this information about him because if he's still alive, he's going to hate this story. <laughs> but he goes, it's very important because him and his wife got back together. Oh, no. <laughs> he goes, it's very, very important that you and your wife talk about how you want to retire and i went really and he goes yeah i said well what what's the difference he goes well my wife wants to spend time with our grandkids and i said and you and he goes i want to be on a boat with hot young chicks <laughs> i don't know that that's a conversation you can ever have that's going to end well by the and way I, you may I, as well not have it so he got a divorce and he bought a boat and every weekend him and his buddies would go out to uh, catalina every fucking weekend that's amazing and uh and then they got back he got rid of the boat they got back together dude one of my favorite marty the, marty was like uh he was like just one of those older jewish guys right from hollywood lived right. we played at the beverly hills country club played oh. tennis every single day right so 
he get we go into the locker room one time and, I'm, and my back my back was hurting he goes get in get in this whirlpool i said i don't have a bathing suit and he goes you don't need a bathing suit this is the fucking this is an old jewish country club you think anyone's getting in a cares if you get in a bathing suit take your clothes off put them in a locker dry off put the clothes back on drive home i was like okay so i get naked i put my clothes in the locker get in the whirlpool I'm there for like two minutes and three men in bathing suits get in. Oh, no. I'm totally Now you're, you're trapped. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, shit. So I just sit in the whirlpool until they got out <laughs> and the bubbles didn't get off. Did your, uh, did your back finally feel better? No, I was so panicked the whole fucking time. <laughs> Tensed up. I'll tell you, I had a boat when I lived in Malibu. Shut also. the fuck Yeah, up. I had a boat. And I'll tell you, this is exactly true story. I had this whole vision, man. It's in the marina. I'm going to bring my boat. I'm going to put my boat. Anchor is there a marina out in Malibu? There's a marina in Marina Del Rey. So I would yeah. go get my boat, drive it up to Malibu. I would anchor it, dude. And then we would swim around. I'd have chicks out there. It'd be great, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I have my boat. I that never. Is, fucking, that is my dream. I know, but I never fucking do it. It's a pain in the ass. I have to get the boat clean. But I'm driving up there. It's a pain in the ass, blah, blah, blah. So my wife was, she was then my girlfriend. Like the second weekend she's spinning at my house. I'm like, dude, this is the fucking time. This is everything I fucking dreamed of. So I go get the boat. Oh, I was supposed to get my kid the next day. So I drive my car to the marina, get in the boat, bring the, now, now my car's to the marina, bring the boat up, anchor the boat, have a few drinks. All night, I'm laying in bed going, a fucking wave's going to come get this boat and drive it right through my, it's going to, anchor's going to pull up. Did I set the anchor right? I got the fucking lights on. Someone's going to rant. So I'm into it. It's going to come. I can't sleep. Then I realize, I don't have my car. I have to go pick my kid up at 8.30. It's like, fuck. I get up at 6 a.m. Don't tell my girlfriend. How am I going to do this? I don't have a dinghy. I swim out to my boat. So how am I going to do that? I have car keys and a wallet and a shirt. I'm going to go to my ex-wife's house wet. With the, I go, how am I going to do this? I get a Ziploc bag. I, I put all, my keys, my wallet, my shirt in the Ziploc bag. I then take the thing. I zip it close. And I go, what the fuck? How am I going to swim? Now, by the way, it's all kind of, you know, kelp and shit out there, too. Yeah. 6 a.m. I go, all right. I put it in my teeth. So I got to keep my head above water and I'm swimming. I get about 40 yards out. By the way, you have to keep the boat 150 yards out legally. So I'm like swimming out there and suddenly I realized it's 6 a.m. Nobody knows I'm out here. I'm by myself. It's dead calm. I'm for sure going to get eaten by a shark. Yeah. And then no one's going to know. And they're going to think it's going to be one of those things where it's like she definitely killed him. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I'm swimming out and I shit you not. For me, 10 yards out, a fucking sea lion pops its head up through the kelp and looks at me. I Fred Flintstone it, dogging paddling as fast as I can. I get on the boat, heart's beating. I get on the boat. I go, I'm fucking selling this boat. This is ridiculous. Well, this is boat. a, fuck this boat. I drove it back to the marina. Put it for, are you serious? I never used it again. Like, this is the worst idea. What the fuck am I doing out here? This is terrible. Drove back. Had to go all the way down the marina, anchor the goddamn thing. By that time, it's 7.15. Get in my car. I'm like, this, what is, this is bullshit. I have a beach house. Fuck it. I sold my boat. God, my that's my dream. That's my dream. It's, I, I almost, it's a good I, dream until you're out there in the middle of the morning going, I'm going to be murdered right now by a shark. I, every, all my friends started getting hobbies. Like like uh, right. like Rogan's out, uh, an archer. Right. You know, uh, Ari just backpacks and, and tra disappears and goes traveling. Segura collects expensive cars. And I'm like, I don't have any hobbies. My hobbies are all focused on the industry. Yeah, I mean, you, you play tennis, you scuba dive, you have, yeah. you do a lot. No, that's you, all from And fucking, you play golf. I, yeah, well, I, no, I, I starting playing golf again because I haven't played in forever. But, right. uh, but then I, I'm in Australia and I, I'm, I go, I'm going to get a fucking sailboat. I'm going to start sailing. <laughs> that's not a hobby. 
That's, it's that's a, a fucking lifestyle. It's a, no, it's a it's a commitment. Oh, <clears throat> so I tell my wife, "Fuck, fuck the rental." She wants to get a she wants to get a house in the mountains. I go, "Fuck that, we're getting a sailboat." She's like, "We're not getting a fucking sailboat." No. And I go, "No, we're getting a sailboat." Oh, God. I'm like, "I go, we'll get a time. Can you get a timeshare on a sailboat? Sure. We get only get. There's a reason why. Yeah, there's nobody. <laughs> it's and shit. Yeah, and nobody wants to have it full time. Nobody. So why you rent one? You can go down to the marina and rent oh, a sailboat anytime I just, you fucking want. I just, I, I had such a, a vision of this. And then the other day, I just said, "I'm not. I'm never fucking home. What no. am I going to sell? I'm on tour." All of the fall. Yes. And so I was like, I'll just go get a fucking guy who knows how to sell a sailboat and take me and my family out yeah. for the day. Yeah. And, yeah. and you'll get three hours in and be like, this blows. Like, all right, I'm good. Yeah. Let's go back. And by the way, you would be on tour and you get the call like, oh, man, you got to get this bottom clean. There's shit going on. You got to get good. It's so much shit. And then, by the way, just think about that. You're out in the ocean. You got to take a shit. You sh- Then you got to pump it how are you gonna do that? It's uh-huh. such a pain in the ass. Such a fucking it's pain, such in, a the pain in the ass. How many lives do you think you've lived? Like me? Like meaning like like there's like four. I can think of four, five versions of Bert. Oh yeah. Like I think of five lives where like I was on the hike today and I was like, I was like, oh the younger me when I would hike, it was a very different. Totally. Like, yeah. I mean, I've had single me. Then like relationship me with my ex and then married me, which is the worst version of myself with my ex. Then single me again, yeah. which is pretty cool version of myself-ish. And then the best version of myself being married to my wife. So I've had all those different versions. My wife and I were just talking about this last night, how much work I've done on myself to, you know, because the business can piss you off. People can piss you off. And just living in that constant state of feeling angry and feeling betrayed and feeling like you, the world owes you something is a really shitty place to be. This business is so, it's so tough because it's, it's not just like a regular job. It's like your dreams are attached to something. Oh yeah. The, and, and your dreams are attached to it. And no matter what <clears throat> you're, you're creating art, you're creating something. You can only create it and then put it out into the world. Because if you just did stand up in your in this man cave by yourself and played it, it's not art. Anyway, it's just I've done that. <laughs> but the second you put it out there, you're judged. Doesn't matter. Better just people love you and people are gonna hate you. And so, so it so your dreams are attached to it. It's fucking hard, and people are judging you every second of every day for what you're doing. So what? So what was the first movie you made? First movie I worked on was Father of the Bride. First movie you worked on, Father of the Bride. Yeah, and I dated Kimberly Williams for a year. It was, that's that was the, it was a it was, I was living the dream, man. I was living right, I was work, living right over here, and uh, she was. They put her at Oakwood, which is on. I know Oakwood. Woodman, yeah. it used to be yeah. Oakwood. Now it's something else. It was on Woodman, and and Kim. Uh, I met her right in that parking lot of that uh, the Coldwater and Ventura that that uh, shopping yeah whatever that is grocery store, and I. And I had seen her do her audition tape. It's the, and I ran into her. I'm like, hey, I know you're new to LA. You want me to, you, to show, show you around? Oh. Borrowed my buddy's Porsche and took her around all day doing touristy stuff. And we dated on and off for that entire, the entire movie and a little bit after. Really? Yeah, it was great. It was, that was like Father of the Bride. First movie. A yeah. great fucking yeah. movie. Nancy and Nancy Myers and Charles Shire are very talented. It was great. So and wait- Steve's the best. I made... I made. I worked on Father of the Bride with Steve Martin, Father of the Bride 2 with Steve Martin, and then a movie that he wrote and directed um, called Simple Twist of Fate. Uh, it's a movie he, a little movie that he did. Very sweet movie. He's a, uh, he's a genius. I, I wish he did more stuff. I mean, he's doing that great show with Marty Shore, but I wish he did more movies. 
Yeah, he's he is. Amazing. He really is. And such a sweet, sweet man. Have he you, might have done this business perfect. He did. Did you ever read his book? Yeah. Did you listen to it on tape? No. Get it on tape. Really? Oh, it's the best. Well, is it like <laughs> my him. book? My book on tape is a million times better than my book because because I can't read out loud. Right. So the and they left me cursing and losing my shit. Oh, and that's great. So and I don't make any money off of it now. I mean, I, I, right. I, I it was like a flat rate, like a ten thousand dollar buyout. Right. But man, uh, is is he improv no, on it? it? No, but he does play the banjo and just him, just hearing him tell the stories, just in that, just in his great voice. I'm it's... not good at meeting celebrities. Really? I'm I I I'm not good. Like, I think. I, I don't I'll tell you what I don't do number one the number one thing I don't do is I don't call people back <laughs> like okay. I like in I, general or I, just I, celebrities in general okay. but especially with celebrities like <laughs> like um, Elliot Gould wanted to be friends with me and I just was like I was like okay and then he gave me his number and I was like I'm not calling that number and then he got my number and called me and he was like hey I, I gave you my number how come you didn't call me and I was like I just, okay. And he was like, let's go to dinner. And I was like, sure. And I kept pushing that dinner off. It was giving me anxiety. Is it just because you are uncomfortable around or you have enough friends? No, I don't have enough friends. I just, I well, just, you have great friends. I don't you, have, you, I, you, you Instagram and talk about your friends all the time. I have a bunch of friends. Comic but like, friends. But like, I, like, I, I always, I, I think I always expect, thought there was something expected of it or, or like, right. I was like, it feels why, weighted why, yeah, you. why do you want to be my friend? Right right like i feel I met, that way about everybody i just yeah. like why do you want to be my friend yeah i feel like constantly i go why do you want to be my friend <laughs> like i remember i remember uh i mean I, i've told this story before but rogan one night i had a I had a friendship that kind of went off the rails and it didn't it didn't end very well um and i was very skeptical of making friends ever again <laughs> I was like, you know what? I don't need friends. I got my wife. I got my kids. That's all I really fucking right. need. I had Travel Channel. Right. And they're stuck with me. Yeah, they're stuck <laughs> with me. And uh, we were, me and Segura and Ari and then Joey and Joe were doing a podcast. I think that's who was there. I can't remember. It was a, we used to do these podcasts at the at the Ice House on mm -hmm. like Saturday nights. Oh, that's cool. And then we'd do it and we'd all go do spots and then we'd come back and we'd podcast. And so... I go to do my spot. Joe's going up after me, and he comes up <laughs> with a shot of two shots of uh, Jack Daniels and two beers. He's like, "Hey," I was like, "Hey," and he goes, "You're a really great guy." And I was like, "Thanks, man." He goes, "You're too." And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "You know, we're trying to be your friend." Oh, that's. <laughs> and amazing. I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "You need, but you need to like let us be your friend." <sighs> wow. And I was like, "Okay." And he goes, "No, man, we love you, and we we think you're a great guy, and we're all trying really hard to be your friend." you gotta let us be your friend and i was like yeah yeah i know and he goes i don't think you're listening to me and i was like and he goes we want to be friends all of us want to be friends with you right and i was like okay he goes just let us and we were like i was like oh it's good advice. i was pushing people away from me sure like i just like he'd call and i just or text and i just wouldn't reply there is like a <clears throat> there is a thing where if if you're friends with celebrities and it's and it's weighted in their favor, that's never great. What but, is it? So in other words, like if you're like, I don't know, I, I'm not I'm not friends. Like the like if Will Smith wanted to be your friend, okay, that's a very real thing, right? You would no, go he to really Will wanted Smith's, to be my friend. Oh, but he's a great guy. You yeah, would, but you would go to his house and he and wherever you were, you'd be with Will Smith. It, yeah. it's a loaded. Even though he's the best guy, is a loaded thing, right? So it's like if you were gonna go play golf with Will Smith. 
you wait for Will Smith. You probably get there early. Yeah. Have your shit ready. And he'd show up. Be like, hey, man. So I understand that. Like, I've been friends with Sandler for 25 years. And it's 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 never it's not loaded in the sense that anything's expected of me. But you're friends with Adam Sandler. Like when you go out. I couldn't be, I couldn't like, be friends with that. He's Sandler. so famous and he's the best guy. And by, by the most generous guy and has helped me in my career in every possible way, personally, financially, you know, just in business in general. And taught me so much about this business but he's fucking adam sandler like you can't like when it's just he and i like when he was when he was younger how did you meet him oh i i was obsessed with him so i loved happy gilmore i i loved, loved it and i and loved and loved happy it. gilmore such a great fucking movie loved it the hardest i've ever laughed in a movie theater in my life he's amazing and i just watched it the other night with my daughter because you know we're all friends and she sees him and doesn't understand how famous he is or like the longevity and she's she's a big saturday night live fan so started seeing him on saturday night live she's like what that's adam and I'm like yeah well, let's go and so we started going back and looking at his old movies she's like, geez he's amazing but i was obsessed with him and just in terms of like he's my age and he was a comic that i it's like you i stalked you because it's just i when i see somebody i just feel like i can connect with comedically i i stalk them and so his agent uh at the time was adam Bennett, who's a really dear friend of mine and i called him and he goes it's so weird that you're calling today because he has a pitch for a movie i go i'm in i'm gonna go and i was working at disney at the time and joe roth had just uh, become my boss and I go, where, where do i gotta go he goes he's shooting uh the wedding singer in, in hollywood go and i drove there and sat in his trailer and he pitched me the water boy and he pitched me the you whole thing and i go i go i just have one question do you make a noise when you hit guys hard? And he goes, what? And I go, like, the noise you made when you hit Bob Barker makes me laugh every time. Yeah. He goes, okay. And I go, I'm in. I'm done. I drove back to the studio, went into Joe Ross' office, and I said, I just heard this pitch. Here's the pitch. And he goes, if you can do it for less than 25 million bucks, you can make it. I know. That was what? back in the day. I go, holy shit. Called it Adam Bennett back. And Sandler and I have been really close friends ever since. And I've done 13 movies with him, either as a movie as a, as an actor or as a producer and he's just he's he's awesome but i understand it because you are when you're at when it's just he and i and we're at like somewhere it's chill to eat like in a trailer or somewhere but when you're out you're always painfully aware you're friends with adam sandler because the entire world is what is you know watching coming up to him you know and you just become invisible i saw him walking when i first started doing stand-up i saw him walking down um i think it was in the village i used to live in between west third on west third so i'm walking down west third with his parents oh, yeah. and i was like and i was like i go adam sandler you fucking rock and he's like oh thanks man there's yeah. and just walk past he's him. the nicest he's nicest the man i'll tell you another funny <clears throat> my my favorite celebrity moment of just that really crystallized everything for me i was at the uh I was at the, um, what was that place called that Dan Aykroyd owned that was on Sunset? House of Blues? House of Blues. It's yeah. at House of Blues with George Clooney and Noah Wiley. And it was right after the first season of ER. And so <clears throat> we're in a booth. I'm in the, you know, in the horseshoe. I'm in the middle. George is on the right of me and Noah's on the left. And there is a phalanx of girls, eight or nine deep. And, and they are not paying attention. And I'm like, holy shit this is crazy i feel like i'm in a zoo right now and i and, and i said to george i go you know what i could light myself on fire right now <laughs> and not 
one of these girls would notice. It was like, I'm the most invisible I've ever been in my, I couldn't believe it. I could, no matter what, no, I, nothing. They were just focused on those two. It was I think really I think I could be humbling. good friends with George Clooney. Like He's the best guy. I think for some reason, because he doesn't seem like a, he doesn't, like Adam Sandler doesn't seem like a celebrity, but I couldn't be friends with Adam Sandler. I think it would be too tough on me. Like I just would be like, but like George Clooney, I could definitely. He's, there's no, there's literally nobody nice. Again, another guy who really I owe so much to, taught me so much. I've told this story before. I was having a really tough time. And I was at Disney and I, somebody fucked me over and I was like bummed out. And George and I were hanging out back then. And I called him and I go, listen, man, you've been in this business a long time. I just got totally fucked over on this thing. And I pitched, I told him what it was. And he goes, oh man, he goes, you understand? I used to lose so many roles to um, you know this guy and that guy and that actor and this actor. And he goes, and now I'm Batman. And he's, he was playing Batman at the time. And I go, that's true. And he goes, just keep your head down, man. Do your own thing. Don't worry about it. It's, you're, you're great. You're, you're going to be fine. This goes on for about 25 minutes. We're talking. Uh, thanks, man. If anybody, all of a sudden I hear somebody go, Mr. Clinton, we need you right now. And I go, are you on set? And he goes, yeah. And I go, are you wearing the bat suit right now? And he goes, yeah. And I go, that is a good fucking friend <laughs> to literally be in the bat suit and be talking to this dumb kid about his dumb, yeah. you know, whatever his dumb little crisis was. And he's sitting in the bat suit having this. He's the best guy. Such See, a good I could dude. never even make that. Like, that's my problem with like, like I, I said, I couldn't be friends with Adam Sandler only because I would feel like I was bothering him. Right. Like, I like, I don't feel like any, any of my really close friends, I don't feel like I'm bothering when I call right. them. I, I feel like, yeah, I'll, like, I don't have a problem. Ari I was I, probably bothering him, by the way. No, no. <laughs> Ari and I were talking about this one day. You know you're friends with someone when you don't mind calling them twice. Right. Like, or texting them a, a number of different texts. Go, hey, right. fucking text me back, asshole. Right, right, right. Like, when, when you don't, when you, like, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, I just have avoided celebrities entirely, I think. Really? Yeah. Huh. Only because it's like, I understand that. I understand. Look, it's 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 daunting. I mean, you know, because it's also daunting if you see, especially if you see somebody on a movie screen and then meet them because, you know, they're 40 feet wide and then you meet them. And you're like, oh, my God, there they are. They're right yeah. in front of me. And that's why I think TV stars always had it a little rougher because people always would come up like, hey, dude from Friends, I know you. You're in my living room see, every we'll Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we'll just hang out. You know, and so it is. It is daunting when you see those movie stars. You're like, holy shit! Like Tom Cruise, just it's insane when you meet him. You just you, he I met, turn, I I bumped into him. He once. turns the light on you, and you're like, oh my god! It was it's like it's like God is. Like I met him beams. at the premiere for Magnolia, and remember Magnolia? Yeah, his sure. hair was like long. Yeah, and I bumped into him, and I turned around, and he smiled at me, and I was caught off guard, and I just said, "You have beautiful hair." <laughs> My, my, this is funniest. My wife did like, she just, my wife is funny because she grew up like, like two, two people. She's had this experience. One is John Cusack and one is Cruz. And the first was Johnny Cusack, really good buddy of mine, been friends for a long time. He lived on Malibu Road too. And I lived closer to town than he did. So he'd always stop at my house, come in, hang out. And he, and, and he'd, you know, wear the black trench coat and come out. And, and, Every other time I've ever been with anybody and cute Johnny walks in, every girls are like, oh my God, oh my yeah. God. My wife is completely immune. It's like, hey, she's like, what the fuck is he coming over at 1030? And I go, it's his buddies. You're like, you know, hang up. And it just goes on and on. It's starting to bother me. And I go, have you ever seen uh, 
say anything? And she goes, no. And I go, that's the reason. That's the you're, reason. You're his kryptonite. Yeah. We watched the movie like three years later and she goes, oh, I get it now. Thank God I hadn't seen Jesus. it before. It's like literally she was, she was like the one person who hadn't seen the movie and it was his kryptonite. Similarly with Tom Cruise, she goes, I don't know. He's fine. I, I, guess, I, you know, I saw Top Gun, whatever. I go, oh, trust me. So when we were doing Night and Day, I go, just, I'm telling you right now. She goes, I don't know. We go to dinner with Tom and he comes around the corner and just takes my wife's hand and looks into her and goes, so nice to meet you. The whole night, she's just, she stares at him. We get in the car. She's like silently numb. Like she's been like, and she's just staring straight ahead. And she goes, I get it now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. I, I remember, I remember I was watching, it might've been night and day. I, I was in a movie theater and I was with friends and I said, I didn't even realize I said it out loud. I said, I see, did something like pined into the camera yeah. on screen. It's his face. And I go, He's worth every cent of $25 million. <laughs> and they were like, wait, what the fuck did you did just Did you say? see this latest Top Gun 2 trailer? No. Oh, oh yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. It's insane. It just gets you. The, it get, I remember that feeling of being in that movie and being like, holy shit. That's... And then you see it again and it brings you right back. He's incredible. And this guy does his own stunts. He's, he's like, in, not flying the plane, but he's in that plane doing all that shit at our age. Jeez. Or my age. You're, you're younger than me. We just established. I, well, yeah. The... Uh... So wait, when you worked at Disney, what was your job? Like, what would like, what did you do? Well, I was a creative executive. Then I was a director of development. Like, what does that mean, though? I don't. So like... basically, you are the liaison between the movie and the the bosses of the studio. Your job is to manage that movie. Okay, let's, creatively let's start, and monetarily. Uh, pretend you're talking to an idiot. Right. Okay. I don't even know. Let's pretend. Let's do this. I have an idea for a movie. Yeah. Okay. I want to make a movie. I have an idea. Who do I go see first? Well, <clears throat> you would probably want to see a writer first and get, especially now, you, the studios really want, at the, at the end of the day, what studios really want is you to have it all. I, I come in with a Burt Kreischer package with a script and a director. That's the best. Like When we went out and we pitched our show, yeah. we had you, we had, a, we had a, a filmmaker, we had me, we had the rights, and we came in and said, we're going to be able to put this together for this amount of money. Do you want to do it? And, and we got a bite. And so it's That's so funny. This whole time, I just thought you could just have a good idea. Like, uh, like just go in and go just, Hey man, I got a, I got an idea. And people will be like, I want it. Well, it depends on who you are. If you're just a person off the street, probably not, but yeah. you probably because of who you are now, you could probably do that. But in general at a studio, any studio Netflix included, there are creative executives and the creative executives, their jobs are anything from creative executive to president of production, but they're all basically doing the same thing, which is managing the movies from the idea, the inception of the idea, whether that be an idea, an article, a script, a piece of IP, whatever it is from the inception of that all the way through the marketing and distribution of the movie the, the creatives stay with it. And they, they, they liaison with all the filmmakers. So, in the early stages of development, like going from an idea, like if you said you had an idea, if you had a script, those uh, you would, you know, a, you would find, oops, you would find a producer, you would find a writer and you would, the, so the you, the, let's say you're the producer, okay. you're the producer, the writer and the creative executive team for that studio would band together and you would develop the script, meaning you would keep working on the script until the studio felt it was ready to go make you know to make the movie and there was is there someone at the studio that that basically is holding the purse strings and goes yeah i mean it used to be one person now it's 
15 people you know they have these green light committees so basically you you develop a movie till it's ready to be made and then they run these pnls right they say okay you know this this uh action movie with this director and this star we run comps and there's a committee of people that are the green light committee that are generally the creative people like the president of production there's also business affairs because they're they they're they you know they're the people that are really responsible for the money and the profit and loss of that. There's marketing people generally in those meetings. There's international people, publicity. Everybody's in there weighing in saying, should we make this movie? We're about to spend you know X amount of millions of dollars to make this movie. So everybody has a vote. That's why movies that are getting made right now all kind of feel the same because you know everybody's trying to hedge their bets. Everybody's trying to mitigate risk. So then all of these committees band together and the only thing that get through are superhero movies and remakes and big pieces of IP because they seem the quote unquote safest. Yeah. And that seems like your risk is mitigated. So, you know, it used to be back in the day, there was one guy who said, I'm gonna go with my gut. You know, on my, I'm having my old boss, Joe Roth, on my podcast. And I, I've already recorded it, but it's gonna be released in a little bit. And he used to be the guy. Like I said, I walked in with Waterboy and he goes, in his head, all right, I know what Adam Sandler so wait, what was he do. Okay, so what was he thinking in his head? Like when you said, I want to make Waterboy. He did the math in his head. He goes, all right, Adam Sandler. I know what Adam Sandler movies do. I know what comedies do. The kid's on the rise. I know internationally it's not going to do football. It's not going to do that much. So I figure like if we make Jesus. it for 25, movie will probably make 50. The movie made $185 million. We 50. So that's 25 in rentals. That kind of gets us out. Then P&A is probably going to be another 30. So I figure with home video and TV and all the downstream, you know, cycles, I think we can get out of it and feel pretty safe at 25. Go do it that fast. And it w literally was faster than I could just in my head. He went, yeah. he does that math, did that math in his head. Now you throw that movie in there and they go, well, what's the worst movie Adam Sandler's ever done? I don't know. Oh, let's do the P&Ls. There's no foreign on this guy. International's like, I don't want to do this. There's no forum. Well, you're going to stick me with this stupid movie? And then home video's like, well, home video's dead. You know, it's, there's so many people saying, and they're, they're running comps. So you have every comp from high to low. And meaning, everybody's meaning, like, what do you mean? Comps are like, so for comps with the Waterboy, it would have been like other comedies, sports comedies. And you'd say, well, this sports comedy, you know, made $5 million. This, the highest is 70 or it was probably 80 at the time, whatever. And you look at like major league, you know, whether that's probably the highest at the time. Yeah. And you'd run those comps and they go, I don't know. I feel safe. The movie's probably gonna do 40. So you know what? We're not going to be out. You make it for 20. That's generally what happens. And you go, all right. So you just lost $5 million going in. So you're now having to cut 5 million out of the budget for no reason other than people want to feel safe and mitigate the risk. And it, you know, if you have one guy, you're 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 beholden to his gut but if you have 15 people there's a lot of ways things can go sideways which is why more and more movies are starting to look the same so okay so you guys make the water boy adam pitches it to you you go back to joe roth he says 25 million you call adam's agent yeah they say fuck yeah let's do it yep and he and write, so goes then, and writes the script and then he goes and writes the script mm -hmm. he had already at that time he'd already said look i'm doing this movie with frank karachi who did the wedding singer i'm gonna star in it and i said Okay, we worked on the script together. And um, the only thing that was, the only thing I really said to him, and we talked about this when he was on my podcast. He was, the, by the way, the best guy ever. He did my first podcast and like launched me. But I, I, the only thing I said to him is he, you know, he had that stutter. And I was very concerned of how long the movie was going to be, you know, just because of the stuttering. Uh, yeah. So I said, can you just do for me? I know I'm an asshole and I'm the studio executive and I'm like, 
I know this is a studio executive thing to say, but can you just do one take where you don't stutter? So you'll do you'll do your whole your takes, but just do one for me. And he's like, fine, like very sweetly, like you've been so great and everything else. Yes, I'll I'll do one take without stuttering. First preview, man. Five minutes in of him stuttering really hard, you could feel the audience just go, nope, I'm not, I'm out. And he turned to me, he goes, this this preview doesn't count. We're gonna re re edit it. And he, <clears throat> so we didn't even score it. We suffered through it because it was tough. I mean, it's hard to really watch someone struggle that hard. And then he went back and put a lot of takes in, you know, mixed and match. And like some stutter, some not stutter. Yeah, and that's the yeah. movie. That's the movie we have today. So that's the only note I ever gave the guy. So I mean, then, on, uh, once we started shooting. Okay, so I I really I'm fascinated by this. So the, especially because Water, Waterboy is one of my favorite movies. Oh, thanks. So Waterboy, uh, you guys go into production. You do you have other projects you're working on at the yeah. time? Yeah, at the time I had Con Air going. I had a, a I can't remember what else I had going, but Con Air. I think nothing to lose. Like I had a slate of movies that we we were shooting at the time. But I went out to Florida and watched him shoot, and you know, and just trusted the kid. I mean, you know, he just he he had done Wedding Singer had come out at that point and done I think like sixty million bucks. So you could see he was starting to trend upwards. Yeah, and so I felt really really confident, and I loved I loved the movie as goofy as it was. And I, you know, unabashedly love the movie. Oh, everything he's ever done. I, I mean, me too. Me I too. took a meeting with Alan Covert. Yeah, he's the best. And uh, and I, I was like, who is I, the caddy in what in the yeah. wedding scene? I mean, <laughs> in Waterboy. I was like, I was like, you couldn't, like you. I, I, I was a little overwhelmed because I kept going. I'm in, I'm in Adam's offices. Like, if he walks in, it's gonna be real. I'm gonna lose it. Those offices are so great. I was like, had, fuck. Yeah. And I was like, please let Nick Schwartz in. Just walk in. <laughs> so, but so then you you have a bunch of movies on your slate. Is it one of those things where you have to like keep checking in going it's like where you where you have to sell your your people like it's going good we're oh, really yeah. happy. Oh, dude, it, yes. And <clears throat> when the movie was done when the movie had was done, we previewed it, previewed great. But there was no like indication of what was about to happen. And but I believed in him and I loved him and I loved Covert and I loved all of his crew in Karachi. I made a lot of movies with those guys. And Garrett, Jack Garapito at the time was his producing partner. And um, I loved the trailer and I loved the music in it. And we, at the same time, the studio had made Beloved with Oprah Winfrey. What's Beloved? <laughs> it's a movie from a very, very popular novel that oh. Oprah Winfrey produced. Yeah. And the studio loved this movie. And my boss at the time had just been fired. <laughs> and so... And I was becoming clear that I probably ultimately was going to get the job with Nina Jacobson, who was on, who was a, a, one of my partners. I pitched a movie to Nina Jacobson She's awesome. once. She's the best. It was the best pitch I ever had in my life. She's the best. And so, so it was becoming clear. And so the new boss, this guy, David Vogel, he loved Beloved. He was like, he had come from up, up, th up through the Walt Disney side. So he was like, so into Beloved, just up Oprah's ass. And just everything was like, Oh, oh, Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. And by the way, Oprah's great, but it's a movie, yeah. movie. And I have Waterboy, and I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so I remember we're in a staff meeting, and uh, one of the distribution guys is there, and I'm talking about the Waterboy, and he's like, all right, whatever. And I go, I'll tell you what, I'll bet you $1,000 that the Waterboy opens bigger than Beloved. And he goes, done. Oprah Winfrey at the time could not be bigger. She's talking about every day on her show. And yeah. I'm like, all right, 1000 bucks. Shook hands go to the premiere in New York. And I think it was like Waterboy. And then like two weeks later, Beloved was going to come out. And 
go to the premiere in New York and the guy walks out of the premiere, out of the premiere, who didn't work on the movies, now my new boss for a minute, and sat right there and he looks at me and goes, wow, we've sunk to a new low. And I go, fuck you. In my head, I'm like, fuck you. Watch. I'm telling you this movie's going to be huge. It opens to $40 million on a $25 million investment. And then <clears throat> I go fly back to LA and in, and in the only time this has ever happened to me, it's 7.30 in the morning. I'm in my little rental house and I get a phone call and it's uh, Michael Eisner's assistant. And she's like, I have Michael Eisner for you. And I'm holy shit, 7.15 in the morning. I'm like, okay, hey. I'm trying to like pump myself up like I've been up for two hours. I go, hey, Michael. And he goes, man, an unbelievable opening. Like that, thank you. That was incredible. Like we should make more movies like that. I'm like, okay, give me the ball. Let's do it. Walk into the next thing. And two weeks later, Beloved opens to like four. <laughs> so I think, I think Waterboy made more money in its opening week than the Beloved did total. The guy wrote really? me a check for a thousand bucks and then he was fired. Yeah, twenty three million total of box office, and so he paid me the thousand dollars, and like a couple months later, was fired, and then Nina and I got the job. Shut up! So like, okay, so when when a movie makes forty million, does Adam Sandler have points on that? Movie? Oh yeah. Do you have points on the movie? No, I mean I worked for the studio. The so you studio get you made just a get a flat money. salary. Yeah, yeah, I got a bonus because the movie did so well. My movie made everybody because that was also the height of home video, and yeah. Adam was. You know, he wasn't the mega star that he ultimately became because then he went right from that and did Big Daddy. And then we had him back and then, you know, we kept switching and then then Joe and started Revolution Studios. And then we did click with him, anger management and anger management with him. So, you know, and, and, and he did, you know, he did do Spigolow with us, Master Disguise with us. He made a lot of movies with us. Really? And so, yeah, I mean, he's just the guy. He's so fucking talented. And even like this new thing he did, this 100% fresh. I'm so proud of him. I think it's one oh, of the, the best the things. The stand-up special? Yes. His stand-up special is phenomenal. I think it's one of the best things it's, he's ever done. And he's 50 years old. It's fucking crazy. It's phenomenal. It's a great special. He's and I went, I went into watching it going, I won't be able to sit through this. He hasn't been doing it that much. He can't be. He can't just. Because I saw him do stand-up one night at the improv. And it was so rough because he was like, he hadn't done it. He had said yeah. that. He was like, yeah. He was talking about cuddling with his bulldog. Yeah. And he was like, I'd rather cuddle with my bulldog than my wife or something like that. And, and he was like, you could, you could tell he was like sheepish on stage. I, I went to a very early show and he was said the same. It was like very rough. And he's like, I'm trying some new stuff out. I don't know what I'm going to do. It plays a couple, played like one song. So I'll, I'll do one better. You saw it on Netflix by yourself probably. Yeah. And we're worried. I was in the editing room. He called me and goes, I want you to come see this. And I'm like, oh no. You know, because like he hadn't done it and I'd seen it. I'm like, what is it going to be? I hope it's good. I'm, you know, I'm very honest with him. I would tell him you know, what I thought. I always do. And I, and my, I go to my wife, I go, yeah, come with me. <laughs> she goes, why? I go, because I, I don't know. You were at that show. I don't know what it's going to be. Is it just going to be yeah. like him? Uh, I don't know. I cried. I literally Dude, cried. It was so I good. cried after. I was, I was, I was blown away by yeah. how good it was. Yeah, I was I was really and, and I'm I'm like I, I I just expected less because I was like I was like, well, he hasn't done it in forever. Yeah. How's he gonna Right. But man, it was so fucking good. Yeah. And it's funny because Kevin James is a good buddy of mine. He called me and he goes, God damn it. I can't just walk out on stage with a microphone now. What am I gonna do? <laughs> I, this is killing me. What am I gonna do? Like, I know you can't ever, you know, but like this is the thing about him. Like he we're we're talking about him again. 
But like he would have these Christmas parties and play for two hours straight songs with bringing on musicians, Eddie Van Halen and different people and Billy Idol. And he's 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 a savant. He's he's incredible. He really is. God. Yeah. So so when you when you're an executive, you just get a salary. Yeah. You get bonuses. That's but- it. You get salary and stock and bonuses. And so. You know, back in the day when I was doing it, you you, you figured you were going to do it for a year or two years, and then you'd be a producer. Now, you know, people those jobs are the jobs to have, and people have them for 10, 15 years now. Really? They don't want to. They don't want to do what I'm doing, where you just, you know, living, you know, movie to movie. I think that would be. I I I, I development is my favorite part. Yeah. Of anything, editing is my favorite. Oh, editing. I want to make me. a movie. Like I, I like I, I like. Okay, let's make a movie. I, I feel like I want to make a movie. I feel like I. I should definitely make a movie while I'm out here. I mean, I think I got time. Like, I don't... You should... Look, you should definitely make a movie, but you could be in a movie, too. I'm sure you could be cast in a movie. Can I tell you something, honestly? I... Unless it's... I Unless it's my project, I feel like I am wasting my life immeasurably. Really? Just acting. Just acting. Like, if... Like, I've... Obviously, I've acted in a bunch of stuff, and I feel like I am wasting my life. You know, it's so funny is Kevin James felt like you did for... I couldn't... I could not, I stalked him like I stalked you and Sandler. And I, honestly, I pitched, must have pitched him 20 movies. And he would never bite, ever. And, uh, and then finally I found something he liked and Joe Greenlit it. And he goes, no, what? No, 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 slow down. So he was so like you. Yeah. Like, I just want to do my own thing. And then Hitch came along. And then he did Hitch. God, and he it, was so and fucking so good, good in Hitch. And then he changed his whole attitude about like, okay, there are things I could do. And then we, he and I just started doing a bunch of stuff together. But like, yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, f- wait for the right thing. You're yeah, doing, I, you're doing I like, great. I like doing things that, I, that, I, that like I'm a part of, that I'm like yeah. a creative part of. Anything other than that. Like I did this thing recently and I had to be a makeup and, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it, like, like, like a lot of makeup. And I was more interested in how they were lighting it than what i was doing i was like i wanted out of there so fucking bad i was like i'm wasting my life i should be with my kids like because i love stand-up so much that 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 checks all the boxes for me creatively i don't need to do anything other than stand-up honestly um i i mean like obviously if you know if adam sandler's like hey i want you to be in a movie i'd be like oh yeah fuck yeah and i'm sure like segura did this fucking movie with mark Wahlberg, and i was like he told me how much money he made and he had to work there for a month. I go, Tom, we make that in a show. Like, why the fuck would you do that? And he was like, that's a good opportunity. I was like, yeah, but you're there. You're in Atlanta for a fucking month. Like, I could not wrap my head around it. Hard. Oh, but my, oh, dude, I did a voiceover. It's the biggest mistake of my fucking life. I was always wanted to be a voiceover artist. I was right. like, show up in in uh in right in a pair of sweatpants. Right. I. At the end, I I offered to pay them the money back that they paid me and repay for them to get someone else to do it because I hated it so much. And it's not just once. You have to go back in. You're there five fucking times. Again and again, yeah. And re-recording the stuff you already did, adding little things to it. It was a really great experience, and I'm very grateful for (laughs) to do that. I'm not, if they're listening to this, I... I don't want to shit on the opportunity, but it was it was just a lot more work than I anticipated. It's and grind. for for me to do stand up, it's it's just so easy. It's like yeah. so like in my comfort zone of what I like doing. And you're great at it. And it's also fresh and different because each audience is different and and you get to put different spins on I it. I like pitching. I like pitching. You're I, good. You're great at that too. I know I enjoy that. I enjoy 
I where, enjoyed. What? I'm, so, I'm just thinking about the grind of making a movie, and I'm about to go to Australia for three months. Where, did you go down to Adelaide or South Australia at all? No. You were just in Sydney. Wait, what, what are you doing in Australia? I'm doing Mortal Kombat. Really? Yeah, I'll be there for three months. So I just wanted to know, like, I'm Wait, going. How, how, I'll where, be there every day. Where are, you, are you shooting it in one place? Yeah, Adelaide, which in is Adelaide, South I didn't Australia. go to Adelaide. Okay. It's like wine country, I guess. I haven't been. I, I'm I, leaving, and I'm going to be there the whole time. Noise? Is that the fan? Oh, Speaking good. of the grind of being on set every day, I'll be in Adelaide for three months, not Atlanta for one. Holy shit. Yeah. God. Mortal Kombat in Adelaide. Can I tell you, I'm obsessed with this guy that lives in... It's called X Xmouth. It's in if you get it if you get an opportunity or Portsmouth. No X. Uh, I'll X tell you. Mouth? Yeah, I, I think it's Xmouth. Well, I'm sure it his is. His name's I'd... Brody Moses. I think is his name. Uh huh. I'm, I'm. Did you hang to... out with him? No. I I he, become... he didn't call him back. <laughs> he... Oh no, I could be friends with him because uh, he's just like an internet famous. So. Oh, okay. He's got a. He's got. I'll I love you. all these rules you have about about yeah. uh, you can who you can be friends with. <laughs> I'm fucking broken as fuck. I uh, there's some people that w- they can't be friends with more f- people more famous than them. Right. I've met people like that where uh-huh. they need to be the most famous person. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's unhealthy as fuck. Yeah. Like that's, I like being I like being seems, around. That seems really. That seems like really bad idea. Like, but like if I got around David Spade, and he was in the back of the store, I just listen. I'd be like e- ear to ear listening. Or like Norm Macdonald. Norm Macdonald fucking kills me. Amazing. He is the funniest fucking guy. Yeah. It's I think it's called it's 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 on it's above Perth. Okay. And so it's and it's fucking gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And they go, they go, uh all this guy does is goes uh uh spearfishing every day. Oh wow. With his dog. He's just and he's like the happiest fucking guy. It's like my wife says I'm a hedgehog. I don't know. I don't I, she told me this today. Hedgehog is someone I, I don't want, I don't know what the other one is. It's someone who can do one thing and that's all they do. Okay. And they just, my dad always says that. I remember one time I wanted to invest in a bar, and my dad goes, "Buddy, the fuck do you know about bars?" He goes, "You you got really lucky. Whatever your fucking stupid little stories, people like them, and you're good at it." He goes, "Just make money doing the thing you're good at." Right. But this guy is that guy. This guy Brody is a hedgehog. He is good at just being very grateful and loving the ocean and spearfishing, and that's it. His girlfriend's think, gorgeous. His dog is fucking awesome. I think about that. I, I just was in on vacation in Bora Bora, and we did this jet uh, surfboard thing. I couldn't couldn't do it. I was not. I was awful at it. It was you had to like go and then stand up. The stand up part was really hard for yeah. me. Yeah, I'm fat now. And so I, uh, but he was out there, and he had this Portuguese girlfriend. Girlfriend, ridiculously beautiful, in the middle of this thing, and I'm like, man, that guy's got it figured out you know he just does this every day and then i like three days later i saw him out there and i'm like guy's still fucking out there doing that one thing i don't think i could do it i don't think i could do it oh oh, oh. like after about day eight i'd be like i have made a horrible life choice no can i tell you so when i was in when i was working on travel channel uh there was a there was a point in there was a point in my in my my tenure that i was doing so much dangerous shit that i was having ptsd like and i was and i used to fantasize about building fences i was like i'd look at guys building fences and i go god man that how how nice would it be to just wake up and know i'm not gonna die today doing what i'm doing right i'm just gonna build a fence right. and when i get done that fence i'm gonna grab a six-pack i'm gonna go home i'm not gonna think about the fence all night perfect i just go 
I just know that when I wake up, I got to go build a fucking fence. I got so into that that I started like looking, go, like looking into like taking masonry classes. Like I was like, I wonder if I could, because they make good fucking money. I'm sure. Dude, a, the skilled laborers. Yes. A mason makes 14. We're, we're building a fence, uh, building a fence, oddly enough. Right. The guy's getting 14 grand for two days. Wow. 14 grand for two days to make a fucking fence just the length of our property. And I'm like, that's good fucking money. That is. But then, but I guess then after a while, you're like, I'd be the fence guy going, okay, I have an idea. Right. And everyone's like, I got to do something different. I got to do something different. Please don't just do the same fence. Please don't say chain link. Please don't say chain link. Oh, another fucking chain link. Damn it. I just want to do There's no Martin chain link fences. I can't put my thumbprint on it. I'm telling you, every time I think, I I think that's my fantasy is just go to an island and just do one thing every day. I could, again, you'd go nuts. I would, I would definitely, I've, I've have, I have so many, uh, like parallel universes where I see my life right. going. Can you vacation? Oh, hard as fuck. Yeah, me too. I, I, be, I've, I've gotten to a place where I can vacation now. I, it takes me a little while. Yeah. Um, and I, but I'm, I'm still working. Like I, I'm not gonna, but I don't consider my work work. Like right. I went, I went to, we've been oddly enough on vacation for now. I think it was a total of six weeks. I've been watching you. Yeah. And you work your ass off. I mean, I know you love doing it, but yeah. you, you're on the gram all the time. I every, love it. Every time I open the Instagram, I go, oh, there's another story with Bert. I got to watch what he's doing now. Dude, and he's I a hike enjoy, with his daughters. I enjoy, like, I like, I bought a paddleboard for the, we were at the lake house. I bought a paddleboard and, I, and then I bought a drone and I was like, I'm going to fucking play around. I'm doing drone shots and I'm, I got this new Osmo action cam and I, and I, and I like, I get. I mean, I. I guess it's not shutting out totally, but I, I enjoy making videos and I yeah. enjoy putting them on Instagram. Yeah. And so, and so. Well, you're also being aware of. I mean, I know a lot of people are, are feel like, God, you know, you're you're behind the camera, or whatever, not enjoy. But I feel like what what you're doing is you're acknowledging what you're doing is cool and being grateful for it and engaging. It's not like you're you always engage your daughters and you always yeah. engage everyone and your wife. So you're even though you're on vacation, you're, you're being aware of what you're doing and it's almost making you grateful for it. Cause you're like, this is a cool moment. I'm going to capture it. I'm so, I was, I, the last vacation, last part of the vacation we had, uh, was in La Jolla and it was, it was, we played golf and me and my dad played golf with my brother-in-law best round of golf I've ever had. We laughed so hard. We had my dad, my dad's always very like, uh, like, oh, you don't need a drink. Come on, Lily, you know? But my we we got uh, bloody marys on the first round, Perfect. and they were doubles. My dad got so fucking hammered. And then the guys at TaylorMade called, and they were like, "Hey, if you're in town, we got an opening. If you want to get fitted for clubs," and I'm like, "Fucking done." Fucking drove out to TaylorMade, got fitted for clubs, came home, got high. It was like the, the greatest, greatest day. Fucking I go on a walk in the morning with my wife. Dude, it was like it was like, but and then and then my vacation ended with that bike ride I just did. Yeah, that's the that was the end of vacation. Now this month is like uh in-house rehab is take technically what my wife's calling it <laughs> so like and then you've got sober october coming up so right? well i'm training right now for sober october right because uh because i know i think we're gonna do running i'm not sure but i think we are and if we're gonna do running if i'm gonna be competitive at all i've got to get down i've got to lose at least 20 pounds well that's the thing like i was gonna do this with you today at 10 30 so i had a couple pops last night and i'm thinking why well, that's my first thing i'm gonna do i you know have a few drinks and hang out 
I got a text from you at 8 a.m. this morning. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? Dude. Why is he up at 8 a.m. texting me? This is crazy. I got, I, He's getting I, after it. I was like, I got my shit together. I'm like, I, was, oh, I gotta be on. I was wasted last night. Okay. I was wasted okay. last night. That makes um, me feel better because I yeah. was like, holy shit, what the fuck is he doing? I uh no, I, I was I got hammered last night. But this month my wife's because I said to my wife, I was like, when we were in La Jolla, we were on a walk. And I was like, I was like, everything's going great in my life right now. I'm like, I'm really, I'm really happy. Like, I'm probably the happiest I've ever been creatively. The comedy I'm doing is the best I've ever done. Every project I'm working on is something I'm really into. Like I could like, I can disappear in my imagination. Right. Like I just go, oh yeah. I'm really happy. And my wife said to me, you know what would really suck? And I said, what? She goes, if you had a stroke and you, Jesus. yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? What? what? Why? She was like, why don't you lose some weight? And, and I, and I had said, maybe I'll go to like, like a, do you have like a soft rehab? Like just go and like, where you can have white wine and smoke weed, but you can't like get hard alcohol. And she was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but we can do that at home. I go, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I go, all right. So this August, I go, we're gonna we're intermittent fasting, sixteen Ooh. hours every day. Great. Yeah, well, that's great, kinda. And then And then um, are you just gonna crush it when it you you're in your period? Can you eat as much as you want? No, you got you gotta still eat. You got I think you can eat regular, but like I'm gonna fucking Cause I know a couple of people who have done it and they go and I've been with them when they've done it, and I go, I'll do it with you, fine. And they would eat way more in those four hours than they would. Oh the yeah, the whole day. I'm like, it's like a cheat day. Oh, yeah. this this cheat day thing is the funniest thing. So I, you know, I listened to Tim Ferriss' podcast. I got his book. Yeah, and he's like, you know, do this thing, this slow carb diet, and blah blah blah. And then you have a cheat day, right? I've never done this before. So I go, I go a week, and on Saturday, I hate fuck to this cheat day. <laughs> I literally, I, I, I Pete. Pizza to, eh, so much, and then I Leslie Bibb was doing this movie when we were doing tag, and I told her, and she goes, "That's not the way cheat days work. You can't eat all of the food in one day." That's what, I gained five pounds. I go, I don't think I'm doing this right. She goes, "This is not how it works. Can't have three Snickers just because it's oh. your cheat day, dude." That's running that marathon fucked me up so bad because I ran the marathon this is a couple years now, I guess, or a year ago, and I and I looked at my watch and I burned like fucking five thousand calories i was like i've got some calories to put back <laughs> dude i gained weight the day i ran the marathon i gained five pounds it's insane I, I ate and drank everything that night and then i couldn't walk for a month and so i just and i and I, but you still in your head you're like oh well, i did run a marathon i can eat whatever i can have pizza right. so that when i rode the bike i got i burned three thousand calories roughly that's great the yesterday and so I didn't eat. I have. You I've keep been, track of that shit, like calories it? and stuff, all the time. Uh, I don't. I. I. I use a. I have a app called Noom. I think it's Noom. They're sponsor of the podcast, and um, and it it's pretty good with wow. tracking tracking calories. I can't. I don't do that. And I I try to run as much <laughs> as I can, and I try to work out as much as I can. And it's funny if at my age, if you don't stay on top of it, you realize how bad you eat and how unhealthy you are. Oh, because. I blew up like a tick. We went to Bora Bora and I came home and I got, I got to make a change. This is, <laughs> this is, I didn't run once. I just ate everything and I got home and I'm like, I can't tie my shoes. This is, I feel, I feel a hundred years old. That's Dude, when it gets scary. Can I tell you my, my, my thing right now that I'm obsessed with is, uh, I started looking at men older, like older men, like, like 60 okay. and going, 
And my dad pointed it out. He goes, buddy, it's all about muscle mass. You got to keep that muscle. And so now I'm obsessed with just putting on muscle. Yeah. Like, I, like I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do cardio. But I'm gonna if my my as when you get older, your muscle just starts going away. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna do cardio, but I'm gonna start lifting weights. And so every day in August, I'm gonna go up to the YMCA, work out at the YMCA. Do you, how are you gonna do it? Do you have like an app? Where, how are you gonna do it? This is the thing I can't, I can't stand trainers because well, I'm not great with authority of any kind, and le, least of all as a guy. Have I you ever went, gone to Barry's boot camp? No, I can't. Dude, do Barry's nope. boot camp's fucking insane. I can't. I'll wanna, I'll wanna strangle him. Oh, whoever it is i can't i've made yoga instructors cry like oh. <laughs> you're supposed to be zen and they would literally privates my wife would go you got it you're so stiff you gotta i tried to do pilates that didn't work she goes i have a great yoga instructor she's the best she's so sweet she left in tears yeah and i don't See, i'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm exact, trying to be me i'm the exact opposite oh i draw so much from a coach from I, like yeah. that mentality that it's almost unhealthy like really? i yeah dude you want to hear a great, uh, this is one of my favorite stories. I was supposed to have her on the podcast. I don't think she's going to be on the podcast anymore. By this spin teacher, right? 20, probably 20 years ago, maybe, I was, I was overweight. I had just gotten done doing these TV shows. I was out of work, but I had money. And I decided I wanted to lose weight. So I went to a spin, couple spin classes. Bob Harper, who was Biggest Loser, was one of the spin teachers. And this other girl, I won't say her name, but this other girl, let's just call her Jennifer. Jennifer was one of the spin teachers. Bob and Jennifer had such a way to connect with what I was going on in my life that in those classes that it was it was spiritual. At one point, this girl Jennifer, I'm in a spin class and I'm out of the saddle and I'm go it's Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm going home and I'm pedaling out of the saddle and I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to sit down. And she yells, don't sit down. Are you going home for Thanksgiving? Do you want the people that didn't fuck you in high school to wish they had fuck you and now they want to fuck you? And I'm like, that's exactly what I want. That's everything I'm here for. She's like, then stay out of She's that saddle and make them want to fuck you. And I was like, I want them to want to fuck me. And so I stayed out of the saddle. I go to a spin class uh, during Sober October. And during Sober October, I was very in my head because it was very, very competitive. And I go to Soul Cycle. And I'm out of the saddle, and this woman gives this moving speech. And it's about co competition, and competition's healthy, especially when it's with your friends. It's everything I'm going through, everything. I'm, I'm like this. Wow. And I look up, and I go, this is Jennifer from yeah. fucking 20 years ago. So I get up. I go, go up to her in front of class. I go, I'm sorry. About maybe 17 years ago, did you used to teach classes at Crunch? And she goes, I did. I said, let me tell you something. You would give speeches about changing your life, and you're the reason I lost weight. The reason I lost weight is I wanted to meet someone who I would fall in love with. I fell in love with my wife, and I have two kids, and I'm a very I'm a successful comedian, and I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I swear to God, if it wasn't for those inspirational speeches you gave at our spin classes, I don't know where I'd be today. I'd probably be still overweight with that girl I didn't want to date. She looks at me and goes, I was addicted to crystal methamphetamine back then. <laughs> I just said whatever. I was like, my what? Head. She goes, I was 
My sister's sitting next to me, and my sister goes, that makes so much sense that a meth addict uh, would connect with you spiritually, uh, that your guidance would come out of a, she was like, oh, we, we would just snort coke in the downstairs smoking cigarettes and just be high as fuck teaching oh, those classes. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, that's my, amazing. I'm trying to get her on my podcast. She see, wrote a book and everything. See, that's the problem is I can't, I, just, the, just you saying that gives me so much anxiety of the thought of walking into that room with all those people on the bikes and stuff, you can't do it. Dude, I had a, I had I a yoga, I had a yoga teacher. I, this is this, it's the same time. My buddy Croy calls me up one morning. I'm up. I'm fat. I'm hungover as fuck. He calls me up random. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm up. He goes, want to go to yoga class with me? I was like, yeah. I'm dating this girl I didn't love. I didn't like, really. I mean, I, I liked her, but I wasn't in love. I go to the yoga class. I sweat profusely. I feel better already. I'm like not hungover anymore. And at the end of the yoga, we're laying on our backs, and the teacher says, um, think about one thing you want to change in your life. And I go, I want to get out of this relationship. And he goes, decide to change it. And I go, eh. He goes, you can. You can change it. And if you can't change it, I can change it for you. And I was like, yeah, the fuck you can. He goes, decide. Make a decision that you're changing it today. And if you have a problem with that, come and talk to me after class. So I go to this guy, sleeve and tattoos, bald head, stud, at the YMCA on Hollywood, right? I go up to this teacher. I'm with Croy. I go, give me one second. I go up to him. I go, hey, man, I heard you what you said. Uh, and like, and he goes, what do you want to change? I said, I'm not happy in this relationship. He goes, break up with her. I go, it's not that easy. He goes, oh, it's exactly that easy. <laughs> I said, run. He goes, give me your phone. And he grabs my phone and he goes, what's your name? And I told him her name and he pulls it up, hits it. And he goes, tell you want to take her out tonight on a date. And I went, okay. So it's like fucking seven in the morning. And she goes, hello. I go, hey, would you like to go out tonight? And she goes, yeah. I go, great. So I hang up. And he goes, now promise yourself you're going to break up with her. And I guarantee you, you'll feel lighter. And I made the promise that I was going to break up with her. I ended up breaking up with her that night. By the way, the worst breakup ever, fucking ever, because I did it before we even ordered drinks. I was, she's, as soon as we sat down, I said, I want to break up. You guys like, can I get you something to drink? I was like, I should have done this at the end. <laughs> Fuck. But like, it was such, it was such a, like, oh, like I take very well to coaching. Wow. Like very well. Like I like I, this. This could have gone totally the opposite way between the meth head and the sleeved up YMCA yoga dude, guy. You dude, you gotta. This I, isn't like you're like meeting like you know like the coaches for like the all star like Wooden or somebody like oh dude. Oh no, yeah yeah. These yeah. are just like cokeheads and fucking yoga instructors you're taking advice from. Dude, I take very well coaching for some reason. So I love those classes. Wow, like, I don't. For real? No, can't do it. I can't. I. I, I've tried everything, man. I've tried every kind of trainer, and I always end up going, eh, I'm out. I can't do it. Yeah, I, It's I, not that I don't. I've had bosses. It's not like I don't listen to people. I just, I don't know. In, just in the physical world, in the physical fitness world, I've never been into it. Yeah. I played sports and stuff, but I was never, I never went to a gym. Like, I never, I, I know you can't tell. <laughs> you in good shape. I never went to a gym. I never did that. I just like to run by myself and not have put my shit my headphones on and have not been able to. I have a hard me. time. My hard time with running now is I have FOMO. Right. So like I have hardcore. I had someone. Someone was like developing a sitcom for me, and they're like, "What defines your character?" And I and my wife goes, "FOMO." I go, "Hold on, that's not my cat. Doesn't define me." And she goes, "It totally defines you." And I was like, "I think it does." I have a hard time going for a jog because I go, like I have to do it when everyone's asleep. Because I go, I don't want to miss anything. Like, I get... And then this bike ride made me crazy because I didn't ride with anyone. I just rode for fucking six hours by myself. Holy shit. By myself, I just sat with my own thoughts for six hours. Wait a second. 
first of all, you can't do that. You have to have headphones with music that drowns all that you shit out. Can't have headphones on a fucking bike. You can't bike with headphones. Well, you can if it depends on where you go. I mean, you, you they wouldn't let us were, do it. Were on you on this? the road? Yeah, yeah, we were on the oh, open shit. road. Yeah, no, you can't do that. Yeah, you could. You, yeah, because your cars <laughs> and everything, and yeah. people coming up on your left. Yeah, <laughs> fucking six f- hours. It's just you pedaling, and so many fat people beat me. So many fat people beat me. It's crazy. It was insane how many fat people beat me. I was like, I. It was a race. Yeah, it was. It wasn't a race. It was like, it was a ride from Philly to Atlantic City, and wow, and That's uh, no joke. yeah, it was. It was no fucking joke, but I got beat by so many people. I know in all fairness, I did stay out till midnight partying after my show. <laughs> I only had like a couple hours sleep, yeah, that's but fair. that's fair. I mean, yeah, but I being alone, I, I, I was five hours of six hours of just me not talking to anybody. Wow. I was like, I get to the rest areas and just unload to strangers. <laughs> hey, have you noticed that? And they're like, I don't, I don't know you, man. <laughs> Anybody else feeling that the world really is headed down a path? Because I, I, I'd write a joke and I didn't have anyone to tell it to. Oh, no. And so I, as soon as I get to the rest here, I was like, is it just me? Or do we feel like we're having <laughs> anal sex with New Jersey? The, uh, my butt hurts so fucking oh, bad. I, that's the thing. It's also, it's not just the butt. It's the taint, too. It's all that muscles under there. It's not a good thing. I've never been a biker like, like long distance. I think I got distance. hemorrhoids from Ooh, it. Oh, Jesus. It's oh. A, yeah. I, maybe I could do like a cruiser bike with the big wide seats, you know, for six <laughs> yeah. hours, but like not like a road bike. Oh, I looked at that bike as just like I used to look at catcher's gears. Like I, whenever I looked at my catcher's gear, I just hated it. You so play was, baseball in yeah, high school? Play baseball. Yeah, I played soccer. For real? Yeah. God, so, see, I wish I, I wish I was, I was a goalkeeper. A, oh, so there's you, no cardio is, in that. But <laughs> perfectly defines my life. You can't win a game. You can only not lose. <laughs> Right, he's like literally my entire fucking life. It's like being a producer. You can't, you can't. I never like had the winning goal. I would just not lose a game. And then when you did lose, you'd be like, "Fucking Garner missed that one fucking penalty shot. Lost by one." Oh fuck! Nineteen years of that shit. Yeah, I uh, I was a catcher and then third baseman, and then uh, it's so funny. I I didn't. I was probably in better shape than I've ever been in my life, but I hated running back then. Right. And and I, I would love to get, I would love to have that body for one day, just right now, yeah. to get 18-year-old Bert and see what it was. Just and feel that, just, the, yeah. the energy you would just have. sit up out of bed. Oh, my son's 18, I just, and it's so humbling. He beats me in everything now, and he doesn't play everything. Like he, we yeah. went up to Jackson Hole, and we played golf. Fucker beat me, and he doesn't play. <laughs> And he just, oh. just because he doesn't care, natural swing, murdering the ball. And I'm, he's hitting three wood. And I go, oh, I'm fucking out, drive this kid right now. I swing as hard as I can, not even close. Oh, the greatest feeling I've oh. ever had. So we go, we go, we play golf. I, I have a great round. We go to TaylorMade. And the, the guy who fits you for clubs kind of um, says, what do you shoot? And I was like, I don't, I don't play very often. And he goes, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't play like, I don't play like, I play like once every year, a couple of years. And he was like, looking at me like, Why this, you like fit, this is a tremendous, tremendous waste of time. Right. <laughs> and and, he, and he, he goes, what do you shoot? And I said, I don't know. I said, maybe like over bogey golf, but bogey go over. And he was like, okay. Over, and you could, you could see over bogey. Him. And he's like, you could see him like, okay. So he goes, all right, let's, let's see your swing. So I take like a seven iron and fucking dot it with my clubs. And he goes, hold on, whose clubs are those? I go, they're my dad's clubs. He goes, yeah, you, okay, I'm going to already tell you, you're going to need steel shafts. Hang on, how do you shoot over bogey golf? You, hit another one. So I keep hitting, keep hitting. He goes, hang on, how the fuck are you shooting so poorly? And I said, uh, 
I got on the green in two for a par five, and I four putted it. <laughs> and he goes, "Are you fucking kidding?" So then he goes through, and I hit all the clubs, and he's like, "You're fucking." Gr-. And that was the best feeling I've ever had. In front of I dad. felt like Ivan Drago That's when so they were just great. sitting around watching him punch. So great. And and he was like, "Oh, we're gonna get you the M fives, steel shaft." You know what you need? Let me. Let, I'm gonna bring out this. Tell me. And it was the greatest fucking feeling. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but uh, but I could I could feel. I can. I, I remember when I started beating my dad at golf. Oh, so he's 18, and he's you know, he plays football. Not anymore. He's going to Michigan, so he's not going to play there. But he played all the way, all the way up through high school. And I'd watch him run, and I'm like, this fucking kid, he's not even fucking trying. He's not running. It's like he was just the the, the stride was so slow. But he was doing great. I'm like, how is he fucking doing that? And I go, I got to race him because I used to be really fast. So we're on the beach one day and I go, listen, you don't fucking try. He goes, what are you talking about? And I go, I watch you run. You look like you're running in slow motion. Let's race. <laughs> Good God. It was out of the gate, like two strides. I'm looking at him going, how the fuck is he doing that? It's just that natural 18-year-old, you know, he's 6'4", like 185 or something. Just that natural stride not a wasted moment he just destroyed um, <laughs> 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 just destroys me so so we do that we go shooting in jackson hole beats me at that like everything and you just i you know you're either going to be the dad that's like fuck you and get mad or you're like well this is my life now he's yeah it's past the torch dude that's have you ever gone shooting up at just, there's just up the five i think there's this great skeet shooting place i'm not yet I'm not a great ski shooter. I grew up shooting. My grandfather was a gunsmith. I, I'm not a great shotgun shooter. My grandfather was a gunsmith. He was. I'm from the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. And again, I told you, my dad was the first person to go to college, with like long line of gas station owners. And he was a gunsmith and, and had pigeons. It was, yeah. It was, really? Yeah. He was, was a renaissance man. And so I have a lot of gun guns, like, you know, 30 odd six and, you know, 38 revolvers. I have a 44 Magnum, you know, pistol. I like that kind of shooting. So we yeah. did all that. We shot everything, and it was great. We shot for four hours. Everything from a twenty-two to a my son shot a fifty cal at the end of the day. Really, it was so much fun. It's really fun. It's Dude, really fun when you just get out there and learn how to do it right and target shoot. I'm, I'm the fucking worst at that. We went. I went. I went out with Rogan one day, and it was we're doing something for Tribal Channel, and he came out. It was a part of it, and it was I fucking loved it. So fun. And so me and my buddies will go out sometimes, and you walk the course. And then you go to a thing, you hit a button, and two skeet shoot just pop up out of nowhere, and <laughs> you got to shoot them. Oh, that's cool. It's the fucking best. I, I really enjoy that. So that's like quail hunting. I mean, that's yeah. really like, oh, it's fun. I, I, I could probably go. I, I don't know if I could. Have you ever hunted hunted? Yeah. Nothing big. We, we would go varmint hunting, like rabbits and yeah. rattlesnakes and, you know, out here in Bakersfield and, and ground squirrels. But I've never shot a deer or anything. Like that. I don't know if I could shoot a deer. I, I mean, I feel like I should before I die, like to test myself. Jesus if you're gonna do that you gotta kill it with a knife if you really want to test yourself just strench yourself in urine and take a knife and i almost stabbed it. a boar with a knife oh really yeah uh but i gave it the knife to another guy and told him to do it but it was it was it was we went boar hunting with dogs in hawaii oh wow yeah i was thinking about this was I that loved, the travel channel yeah i, I think did, i saw that i did so much well, i know that's, that's how i first insane. found you was was Bert the conqueror the best meeting i've ever had yeah. my meeting <laughs> with you is my favorite meeting i've oh, ever thank had you well, it worked out good we have a call in a little bit here we hmm. it by the way oh good am i on it <laughs> i don't, I don't think i'm on it i don't know it's at 12 30 are you on it uh i'll tell you nope okay. oh wait I'm, I'm on the wrong calendar oh yep <laughs> we're getting on a wait, call hold on no <clears throat> i'm getting on a call with everybody at 12 30 
No, I'm not on it. It's better that I'm not on it. The uh, <laughs> um. So then, so then, what was the transition like from out of the studio or out of the studio to independent? Yeah, I thought you know when I thought I thought I was going to be a, a producer and everybody would be like you know oh you've done it here's a bunch of movies to go produce it's not like that at all so it just becomes and I and I and I never realized what the job was was being an entrepreneur I always thought I'm just an executive I'm just a guy who gets a paycheck when you become a producer you you have to hustle I mean you have to it's all on you you live in movie to movie generally you know so do you go like when you the okay so you, what like you quit. Yeah, and then I made zero dollars. I'm also going through a divorce, which is not and living time. in Malibu. <laughs> yeah, wasn't a great. Well, the whole the whole way that all things came together probably wasn't the best for my finances. But do you do then? Do you get a deal somewhere, or do you have to try to make a movie? You have to make a movie, man. You don't get paid till the movie gets made. Most people that are producers don't get paid till the movie gets made, which is crazy. Holy shit! Yeah. So then, okay. So what was your first movie that, a- after that? Uh. The first movie that I produced after that was Are We Done Yet, which is a sequel to Are We There Yet with Cube. Yeah. That was the first one because I had made that movie at um, at Revolution. And then very quickly got Mall Cop. Kevin and I did that one together. Mall Cop's mm-hmm. a really fascinating movie, if I'm not mistaken, because it was during the writer's strike, correct? It was right up against the writer's strike. So what happened was, again, Sandler. no one was making movies. No. no one could make a movie. No. Again, Sandler. This is all Sandler. So he had <clears throat> made a deal at Sony where for under $25 million movies, he could put a picture to them, meaning they trusted him. If it was, as long as it was under 25 with the Adam Sandler brand, they'll let him go make a movie. And I think he, he had one left. And so <clears throat> I went, I was at the, the Sony lot with him and he said, can you just go meet with Kevin? This writer strike is coming up and they're stuck on this movie. You just go help him push it over the edge. I'm like, okay, what, what is he goes? It's, it's the thing. He plays a cop. I don't know what he wants to do. Just go talk to him. So I go, okay. So I go to Kevin's house and I go, what is this thing? And he goes, well, I just want to be a cop with no authority. Like I, you know, like on the boardwalk, you know, those guys like cruising on the bikes, or whatever. That'll make me laugh. And I just been to a mall and I said, you should be a mall cop. Those guys ride segways. Have you seen that? We Googled it and he was cracking up. He goes, let's do that. I realized they didn't have anything. It wasn't like they had a whole script and stuff. They had kind of a vague idea. So in six weeks, Kevin and I just rolled up our sleeves at his house every day because the writer strike was coming, worked with the writers to get that movie in shape to start shooting. Right as we got to the finish line, right before the writer strike, um, Seth announced he was doing his mall cop movie. And Seth who? <clears throat> Rogan, Observe and Report. Oh yeah, and Amy Pascal, who was really tight with Seth and 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 those guys, was like, I don't think we should do yours now. And Sam was like, Fuck that, put the movie to her. And so he used his final put on that movie, and the writer strike happened, pens down, and we went off and made that movie in Boston. And that was like that was like everyone was trying to get a movie yeah, done and going. So we were like in Boston, one of the only movies shooting because nobody was shooting movies. So we came out, we came out, we beat Observe and Report filming, and we got out before them. And again, it was like Waterboy. It opened to $38.5 million and did like 160. And so it was the same, weirdly the same feeling again. Same guys, same people like going, uh, fuck, this movie's not going to do anything. It felt very similar in, in the way that that whole thing went down. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. The, I saw Observe and Report the other day only because... Um, What's her name's in it? Uh, the girl who's um, 
Anna Ferris yeah. is in it. And there is a straight up rape scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It movie is very dark. Very straight dark. Straight up rapes. It doesn't hold up. <laughs> it does not hold up. <laughs> I watched it. I was like, oh, ah, ah, pre me too, I think. Fucking <laughs> Seth, Seth Rogen. Why well, I just watched This is the End with the girls and that my fucking daughters were dying that laughing. Movie's so good. And then and then realized they they watched the movie, but were unfamiliar <laughs> that that all those guys were famous. Oh my god. They watched the whole movie and they they didn't know that they're all playing themselves. Oh wow. They thought they were just it's so That's it amazing. worked on it worked like as soon as they go, why do they keep saying James Franco? Like what's who's James Franco? And this is towards the end of the movie. I go, what? That's the, whose house they're in. They're like, I know, but like, why does he like I don't I'm confused. And we hit pause and we went, Hold on. You know these are all famous actors. And they're like, No. And we're like, Okay. Wow. They're all famous actors playing a version of themselves. And they're like, Oh, is that why so Michael Sarah was Joe uh it was wow. I was like, motherfucker. But wow. It's amazing when you realize the generational gap, how we think our generation is still relevant holding up and yeah. you realize they have no idea who the, anybody is that we know. They don't know who Britney Spears is. Yeah. My daughters don't know who Britney Spears wow. is. Yeah, I know, right? That's insane. So how many how many movies do you have? How many projects do you have on the burner at any given moment? Well, the, it depends. Like if I was in my 20s and you and I were at a bar and you were a hot chick, I'd be like, I got, you know, 12 movies going. <laughs> but now I'm 53. I don't care, really give a shit. I'm like, it, until it gets made, it's not really on the burner. <laughs> so that's so funny. <laughs> I stopped giving a shit. Like I got went through development one time and I forgot I was in development. Like, I was like, All right, yeah, it's not going to happen. Not gonna, nothing's fucking real. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> So I've got uh, I have a little horror movie coming out in September called Haunt that we made. Eli Roth and I produced this little idea that I had. We made it for two million bucks. It's coming out in September. Then I have a movie called Playing with Fire with John Cena and Keegan-Michael Key. And my daughter's crush is John Cena. Yeah, he's great. It's just a, it's a really sweet throwback, like the pacifier, daddy daycare. Yeah. You know, a couple of movies that I made as an executive. And uh, so it's very sweet. It comes out in November. That's the movie we just previewed the, this, this past weekend. And uh, and then I have Mortal Kombat shooting in um, in uh, September through the first of the year, and then hopefully you're in you're in my show. will will go like yeah. right after that. So Great. other than that, like you know, a couple, bunch of other stuff that's like blinking green light that I'm trying yeah. to cast, whatever. But again, unless I'm in a bar, you know, in my twenties, I'm I what am I going to fucking say? Like, there's a bunch of stuff in development that hopefully will get made. And how long have you been doing your podcast? A year, a little over a year. And who, who, like, who are your favorites on that you've had on? Well, I love Sandler because he was my first, and he was amazing, and it was a great. And Kevin James and I had a really fun conversation. Um, but I mean, Kevin James is so fucking interesting. He's so interesting. I, he's, I, and he's such a good actor. Steve Byrne. I, I probably shouldn't. I probably, probably shouldn't say this, but I'll say this. Steve Byrne. I knew Kevin through Gary. Gary Valentine's yeah. his brother. Yep. Gary and I were really close, and I knew Kevin through them. We played golf a couple times, and. I'd go over to that Kevin's guy can house. Hit the ball a yeah. mile. Yeah. And, uh, but Kevin's very shy. I mean, yeah. he really is a very introverted person. Very. And I am not that guy. <laughs> like, I remember having, I remember having drinks with Kevin going like, do you realize how much fun I would have if I were you? And he was like, yeah, I can, I can see it right now. <laughs> I, I mean, he watched, I never had guacamole before at his house and I had guacamole for the first time. I loved it. 
Was it the house in Encino? No, it was the house in uh, Santa Monica. Okay. Oh, this is back in the day. Oh, yeah, like fucking 17 years ago. Oh, wow. This is when he was on King of Queens. Yeah. I would go to his... I knew, I knew him when he lived in an apartment with Gary yeah. on Pico. Yeah. And so um, I remember going like... <laughs> That's where he was in the earthquake in 94. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I This is how... This is all the things that are wrong with me. Kevin was driving a cherokee a jeep cherokee like an old one like a fucking seven-year-old jeep cherokee living in an apartment i was on the same he was on king of queens i was on the same show as his brother and i was driving a pimped out expedition living in the hollywood hills and i kept and i was like what the fuck why aren't you spending your money on anything and he was like uh it goes away there's a point where it goes away bert but like i but uh but I remember Steve Byrne calling me going like, I think Kevin hates me. I go, no, no, he's just quiet. Yeah. He's just a quiet guy. He it's is. like very, very sweet guy. Very sweet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've obviously made a, a lot of movies together. And so it's been fun. And I'm doing a maybe a TV show with him uh, at Netflix. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah. We'll see. I mean, you know, it's, all the pieces have to come together. But I, I love working with him. He's, he's really How do you get, good. this is going to, you don't have to tell me the answer to this, but how do you get paid when you're a producer? Do you when you do you come up with a budget and then go? By the way, this is what I'm getting. No, no, you have quotes. You know, you build up quotes, then they ignore them. Ultimately, <laughs> <laughs> give you whatever they want. But you build up your quotes and you build up a reputation. And you, you know, you it's like it's like you. You try to just keep, you know, getting paid a little bit more if you can. But in television, it's totally different. I'm a neophyte at this, so I've never, I've never, I've had, I did a show with Deer Deck on MTV for a little bit, but um, what show? It was called Snack Off okay oh yeah. yeah i think i saw that it was like uh chrissy teigen was on it uh yeah i by the way rob deerdeck is one of my favorite awesome guy. i could be friends with him that's yeah, a famous yeah, guy totally I could be friends he's with. a good dude yeah very intense very good businessman great business mind always thinking yeah. about like how to put things together um yeah so anyway so you get paid when it gets made that's the problem you're not you don't get paid along the way okay and you can't and you it's there's an there's an illusion that you can go. Oh, I'll, I'll just keep the rest of the money for myself. It's not how that works. Oh, that's what when when this business started. I heard the thing was if you're a producer, you make it for whatever you're making, and you keep the rest. And I was like, ah, yeah. I mean, I, I started making shows where I was <laughs> I could just think of. I, I did this show called The Cinderella Story, and I was where I went out and competed in. I, I shot the pilot, and it was really great. I think it ended up getting me my um, Bert Conqueror, uh, but it was I would go out and find a competition. And then join, enter it with no previous knowledge of what it was, oh, wow. with no training, That's cool. in hopes that I would become the Cinderella story. Oh, and that's amazing. I entered the Long Beach Highland Scottish Highland Festival, and I came in third place. Holy shit! Yeah, but it doesn't say much. There's not a lot of not a lot of Scotsmen in not Long a lot Island. Of real athletes at that <laughs> festival. So okay, so okay, let's do this. This is my uh, to anyone listening who has the, fancies themselves. I would like to make a movie. Give me the shortcut to what would sell an exec on a movie like i want to i do want to make a movie so tell me like like i remember hearing one time oh if you can shoot it in one location that's really helpful mm-hmm. oh if you can uh uh do this like like what's like what's a shortcut of like what would make for a great pitch or a great idea for a movie well i mean the shortcut would be to have uh, a book generally really yeah well because then the person can read the book and know what the movie is okay so that's probably the easiest way shortest way to do is find a great book with a great story and a great hook 
like, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example. That was a book that was, you know, e- was an ebook. Like anybody could have found it early. People didn't. And then it blew up and then it became a, a bidding war. But finding a book is the easiest way because it literally lays out the characters and the story. Short of that, um, there's no shortcuts really. I mean, horror is really popular right now. So you got to look at what's on uh, in the theaters and you got to look at what's on streaming. And, you know, so right now, if you had a really great horror concept that would low budget and would shoot like in a house or in a lot of Asians in it, (laughs) like get out or something like that. Or, you know, if you had that right now, much easier to get that made than, than, than comedy for sure. Comedy is really tough right now. Comedy's really hard to make is because stand up wise, you just tell it and you know it's going to work. But to write it on paper and then see it translate into funny, it's really hard. You shoot a comedy and then you you think it's funny and then you edit it and you a year later put it up in front of an audience. It, you hope it's still going to hold up. You know, oh, it's not like you can keep working it or like in an animated movie, if it doesn't work, go, oh, let's change the performance, let's change this, let's change that. You can't, you can only edit what you have, which is really hard. Did you ever have those times where, where that, where like you'd hear the, you'd hear those stories about you have a movie and then the studio comes in and they fuck it all up? No, I mean, no, I don't think, I think people who are saying that it was already fucked up. Yeah. But studios don't intentionally do things like that it's not like they're morons these these people that have these jobs are really intelligent people they're generally doing what they feel is best in their gut which may be opposite of what you feel is right but i've had a lot of experience with with really really great filmmakers that i could tell you were a little self-destructive like they were like well i don't care uh, this is this is better and you're like uh oh, it's not better you know objectively it's not better like we're previewing it the audience is telling you it's not better i've seen filmmakers be like well i'm going to do something different i don't want to give the audience what they want you're like well we paid 30 million bucks we need to give the audience what they want and so and so i've seen that happen more often than something that was great that just got destroyed by by a studio executive i mean harvey weinstein's probably the most famous for doing that Mm -hmm. of just going in throwing the filmmaker out and you know and those movies probably did get worse because they're like a tour of movies that he sold them on. Oh, I love your vision. I want your vision. Then we go in and completely gut it. But in terms of comedy or any, in terms of just generally commercial movies, your the preview process is there for a reason because you're listening to the audience's feedback and you got to take it seriously. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to get you out of here before the phone call. Yeah, man. So we yeah. can go sell your show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Please. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. You got it. I'm so excited one. for that. Me too. And then one. we'll do a podcast right after we start shooting that. Let's do that. We'll, do, we'll do it there. Yeah, we'll do it there. Perfect. And we'll have some one of the, well, we don't want to tell everyone yeah, our yeah. ideas. No, perfect. Oh, and I'll, uh, there's someone I want to tell you after this. But hey, what the name of your podcast is? The Producer's Guide. The Producer's Guide. And it's on anywhere, Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcast. Yeah, go man. check it out. Thanks, Dude, I, I'm really glad that our paths have crossed. I'm me glad too. you stalked me. Me too. Will you call me back now? Yeah. I'm right. back. <laughs> awesome, brother. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. 
This episode was brought to you by The Machine.